get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Far wing, into Fowler. Huge save, Gillies. The puck's still loose and the Ducks have scored. Troy Terry found the rebound before any of the Blues could. Gillies did all he could. And the Ducks have tied the game two to two. Terry will bring it in, carry it wide, cut it into the middle on Gillies. Deke shoots, and it goes in and they score. The Ducks win the game on an overtime penalty shot. Perunovic coughed it up at the blue line, hooked the player to draw the penalty shot, and Terry wins it as the Ducks beat the Blues three to two tonight. Bummer of a way for that homestand to end. A penalty shot that ends it as the Blues win streak on home ice and their win streak overall. Terrible call. Te- well, no, not a terrible oh, call. Yeah. Terrible decision on Perunovic's fault, but hey, what? A- either way, you were going to be given a breakaway. It was either going to be Terry with Scott Perunovic on him or it was going to be the penalty shot. I think if, if it were me, and I've never been an NHL goalie, T-Bone. Oh, you haven't? I think I would have opted for the Perunovic trying to defend Troy Terry breakaway than the penalty shot, but hey. Doesn't really matter kids in young, that one. I think the kid's younger than me, so I'll, I'll let it slide. <laughs> Look, the guy's fresh out of college and fresh out of a shoulder surgery, so things like that are going to happen. And even Craig Bruby said that that's what you get with a young player. He's going to be learning experiences. It is BK and Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. We are with you. No BK this week as the weddings are done. The nuptials have been completed. He and Kara are headed to Punta Cana as husband and wife and T-Bone and I will tell you more about the wedding. It was a fun night, uh, beautiful ceremony, beautiful reception and all of our best to uh, BK and, and Kara. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll tell you why there was no money involved because somebody, somebody spoiled the betting window before the damn ceremony even started up. That guy. We'll tell you about that as we move along here tonight, but look, it's a, it's a three, two final score to the ducks last night in overtime. And before we get into the struggles and before we get into, well, more problems for the Blues, you do have to address the fact that they wrapped up a four-game homestand. They won three of four. They took seven of eight points. And in all of those games, I'm sorry, three of those four games, they were shorthanded a man. They had all of their roster. They had a healthy roster in the sense of having four lines of three forwards and six defensemen and two goaltenders. They had that for the game against the Montreal Canadiens and they win this one. But then they find out that Jordan Cairo wasn't available in the game against Anaheim. He doesn't play. So you take seven of eight points on the homestand T-Bone. You've played nine games shorthanded going all the way back to that road game against the Detroit Red Wings at the end of November. Excluding one game, the Montreal game, you've played nine shorthanded, whether it be not having a forward, not having a defenseman. At some point, you were you were playing depleted. You took 13 of 18 points. So as frustrating as that loss was last night, and as frustrating as it is to, to blow third period leads, 
I'm actually okay with and probably optimistic more than I should be for what this team has done shorthanded as they are still sitting in a tie for second place. Yeah, I mean, that's just impressive. The fact that they're able to get those many points and not not only were you shorthanded, you're on your fifth goaltender as of last night too. And I know we'll get into this a little bit later, but how often would a team that loses just the two guys starting the year, the starter and the backup, <laughs> how often will they be able to play well with the third string goalie? Not very often. The Blues are on their fifth guy and all five have looked pretty good so far this year. Yeah. But to your point on kind of the, the Blues having this it feels like there's kind of this, even though they're shorthanded, it feels like there's a little bit of this energy surrounding the team. Maybe that comes back with the Springfield guys, but seven of eight points in this four game homestand. It's such an impressive feat for this blues team. And as you mentioned, they've been shorthanded. That's it's such a hard task to just kind of wrap your head around of, wow, this team is playing really good hockey. Honestly, might be playing some of its best hockey. Maybe not dating back to when they had the winning streak to start the year when they went, what five and zero to begin the year. Mm-hmm. Maybe not back to then when they were pretty much healthy. But this comes pretty close to that, which is hard to imagine because we're seeing the defense play really well. We're seeing uh, contributions from the depth guys. We're seeing some of the uh, some of your star players playing really well. Barbashev has played really well during this stretch. So the fact of the matter that they can get these amount of points this shorthanded and be playing this good of hockey, it goes back to kind of the old adage of what if they're healthy? I'm not even concerned about what if they're healthy because they're playing so well right now. Yeah, and who the hell knows when they're going to get healthy because more guys went out of the game yesterday. We'll touch on that in a bit. But look, despite all of that, there is still an issue for this Blues team, and it's the third period. It's closing games out. I mentioned this on post game last night. Go back to Friday when Doug Armstrong joined myself and Chris Kerber, and he talked about the one thing that this Blues team is struggling at, and he used a phrase that still sticks out to me. Well, I would say it's it's closing out games. It's playing getting extremely comfortable being uncomfortable in one goal games up down tied in the third period I still think we we, we seem to have too many self-inflicted wounds uh, turn the puck over at the offensive defensive blue line too often in critical times I'm also understanding of the fact that when you want to play a more up-tempo game when you want to allow your skill to, to show itself skill comes with risk you know and you have to turn a blind eye every once in a while it's the critical times of the games where you have to, we have to have a better understanding that it's not worth the risk, even if it works out. Comfortable and uncomfortable situations. You remember the Doug Armstrong famous or infamous quote that, you know, you got to jam knife the knife into the brain, jam it through their throat. turn oh, it, twist brain? it, kill the opponent, whatever it was. He got very violent with it. That's what this Blues team's missing. It's the killer mentality in that third period. And for times on this homestand, T-Bone, they showed it. Like that Detroit Red Wings game. I mean, you entered the third period up 3-1, and you kept the pedal to the metal. There's been times this season where the Blues have been up 3-1, and they play sluggish in that third period. And the first game against the Florida Panthers, you enter the third period tied. You score the first goal. But the problem is you're allowing teams back in. So they've scored 35 goals in the third period, fourth best in the National Hockey League. All right. The problem is what's right next to that. Oh. 32 goals scored in the third or 32 goals allowed in this third period, which is eighth most in the NHL. It's a plus three goal differential in the third period. All right. That's pretty good. I don't know if that's good for you. Oh, I mean, no? you can look at that however you want. So I went and broke it down. Ken Hitchcock. I see a positive. It's because you're trying to keep your life. Healthy, yeah, like Mike like Schilt. Mike like, Schilt told me. That's front office member Mike Schilt yeah. to you from now on. 
Way to go, Mike. I broke down in increments. Ken Hitchcock used to say 10-game increments is how you view a team. The first 10 games in the third period, the Blues were a plus three. They lost two games in the third period in those first 10. The next 10, they're a minus two. They tied three and they lost four games in the third period. That's the one that sticks out to me. And then the last eight games are a plus two. They lost a game and they tied two in the third period. That's the biggest issue right now. And if you look at how they're getting beaten in the third period, it's exactly what Doug mentioned. You're turning the puck over in bad situations. Scott Perunovich in overtime. You're getting beat and outmuscled in front of your own net. That Troy Terry goal that scored the third, that scored the tying goal in the third period. Scandella and crew just got outmuscled in front of their own net by Troy Terry for that rebound where Gillies made the saves. That's the, if you were to label the number one issue, that's not injuries for this team. It's closing out games in the third period. They fix that. You're talking about a different team, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. And this comes down to kind of that conversation of we've had, it seems, all year is do you need that need another guy to be a top four defenseman for you? My opinion, you do. And then that that comes to part of this discussion. And I know injuries isn't a part of this, but, I mean, you look at Torrey Crew. Who's this normal pairing? It's Justin Falk. He was paired with Marco Scandella. uh, Danny Mack said it earlier. Krug didn't have his best game. I, I agree with that. So, they have to find a way to finish games out, but it's not like there have been many where I've said, oh, wow, this is a game that really kind of got away from them because of they weren't able to finish out games. Sure, there have been a couple that have gone to overtime, but they've been able to find a way to win it in overtime or at least get that point. I, I'm not sure that I'm concerned about this just yet. Maybe it's because I haven't seen it as much as when Doug Armstrong brought up that point, my first thought was, wow, I haven't really seen a lot of games where the Blues have gone into the third and it feels like they've kind of quote-unquote blown the lead but what he did mention was you know we've given up goals you mentioned the Detroit Red Wings game Mm -hmm. where they give up a breakaway to Robbie Fabry in the third period sure they were up I believe 4-1 at that time but that's a goal that you look at and you go how are we giving up a breakaway in the third period when the game is kind of heading towards its end that's just the little things that the Blues have to improve upon but yeah I'm with you this is the number one thing the Blues have to try and improve as the season moves along well remember the first two games of the season you were up 4-1 on the Colorado Avalanche with less than seven minutes to go in the period and you allow two straight goals to make it a 4-3 game the Arizona Coyotes you're up 6-2 going into the third period and in a matter of three minutes Arizona makes it a 6-4 hockey game that's the thing that you have to find a way to eliminate in your game now with that being said A lot of this is because of the players that are out. We've done the good, now the bad, now the ugly. That game, Jordan Kyrou's unavailable for last night against Anaheim. Craig Berube said it was the Detroit Red Wings game that he was banged up. And he said he took a hit against the Montreal Canadiens that didn't help it. So he was unable to play day to day. Then there's Braden Shen, who played in the third period last night, went off the bench, came back to the bench, then left and did not return. Here's Craig Berube on Braden Shen's injury. It's not the same injury, and um, he'll be out of the lineup day-to-day right now. So the fact that they already labeled him out of the lineup for tomorrow's game against the Dallas Stars, that's a problem. You have now 11 guys, 11 guys out of your lineup. The good news, Tyler Bozak, he's off the COVID list. Jordan Bennington, Justin Falk, they are off the COVID list today. But you're still uncertain with Robert Thomas, who's day-to-day. I would imagine you're probably looking at week-to-week for Robert Thomas. You're still without Neil and Costin, who both are skating, but they can't come back until the 18th. David Perron, who's been skating. Ville Husso, short-term IR. Jake Wallman, short-term IR. And then now Cairo and Braden Shem. I mean, you're dwindling 
one after the other, after the other, after the other. So whatever we just talked about, it's so hard to label this team because all of these guys can, I mean, you're missing basically an entire roster. If you were going to suit up a team with the Blues injured players, they could compete. And of some of your most important guys too. Right. Think about it. You have penalty killers in Tyler Bozak. You have late game players like Braden Shen, Robert Thomas, Jordan, Kairou. You have both of your goaltenders. You have one of your shutdown defensemen. I mean, you're taking the biggest elements away from this team. So that third period problem, the fact that they took seven of eight points on the homestand was impressive, but that third period problem is labeled more so with these 11 guys out. Yeah, and the other thing for me too with this, and I hate to sound like that guy like, oh, because we all know that I'm the big Jordan Cairo fan here, but I hate to be that guy that sounds like, oh, Cairo's out. Now they won't be able to win. I am very curious to see how this team plays without both Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Remember, Doug Armstrong on Friday had mentioned... It was Thomas. Who would have thought coming into this year that Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, and I can't remember who the third name was he threw out there. It may have been Pavel Buchnevich. It was Pavel Buchnevich and Brandon Saad. He said yeah. those were our four, four alphas on the offensive side this season. Now we're missing two of those. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not saying it's, oh, now that those guys are out, both are out of the lineup, then the Blues are done for. No, this team's clearly proven they can play through adversity. What I'm very curious to see how this affects this Blues team offensively, five on five, and even on the power play too, because you're now missing one of your best uh, distributors in Robert Thomas, and you're missing, in my opinion, your best goal scorer in Jordan Cairo. So I am very curious to see how they respond to losing two of the four, quote-unquote, alpha dogs on the offensive end of the ice with their forwards. You know what that means? It means the other alpha dogs need to step up. Ryan O'Reilly. Nathan Walker's got four goals in three games. Like. What He's, are we what are we doing here? It's put impressive. Him, put him in the category of alpha dog. O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Barbashev, Sunquist. Those are the guys that need to step up in the circumstance for the Blues. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Blues will be back in action tomorrow night against the Dallas Stars. 7.30 puck drop. First community pregame show starting at 6.30 with yours truly. Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. It's 11.16. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in 15 minutes, we will do our NFL rapid reactions after week 14. Coming up next, though. Are we starting to buy into the defenseman turning around? Question that I probably would have said immediately yes after the Montreal game. After last night, I'm now wondering. We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Yeah, like I said, I think that not giving up odd man rushes, um, you know, being a hard team to play against in the offensive zone. That's the uh, that's our identity. Pressuring pucks on the forecheck, keeping pucks alive. Our D are doing a real good job of staying tight on people in the offensive zone and the neutral zone of forcing turnovers and keeping pucks alive for us. So that's, that's a big key to our success. It's Craig Berube, head coach for the Blues. Speaking of the defense tightening things up, we're back here on BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. Uh, coming up 15 minutes or so, we'll get to our um, NFL rapid reactions. Also got questions and answers at the bottom of the hour. Air Comfort Service text on 65780. T-Bone, this is the area you have been speaking of all season about this team not be having that shutdown defenseman, the top four defensemen. For me, I always felt like the team was good enough to compete with their defense, but they were missing an element to their game. And look, this homestand that they just wrapped up, with the exception of the Anaheim Ducks game, and even the Anaheim Ducks game, I thought they played a 
good game. Wasn't great, but it was better. They've been pretty solid defensively, at least on this homestand. In fact, in their last seven home games, in the midst of that win streak, they are their goal differential was 32 to 15. So in seven games, they allowed 15 goals. About an average of two goals per game. That's pretty good. It's pretty damn you can, good. You can win that way. Were you, were you saying that was good with that or with my math that I did very fast uh, on here? I didn't even reference your math oh, there. okay. Well, Sorry, buddy. It was pretty good in my opinion. But anyway, the defense has been playing better. Specifically Pareko and Miko. I thought that they have looked more like a shutdown pair for this team. But then you go to last night's game where both goals scored at even strength for Anaheim came from the Blues getting beat in front of their net. The Buddy Robinson goal, that was Pareko and Mikola that kind of got caught puck watching. The puck slid through the uh, crease, and Buddy Robinson was able to slam home the rebound chance. And then one we referenced in the previous segment, uh, Troy Terry scoring that uh, goal after the first two shots were saved by John Gillies. Despite that game, though, I am starting to look at this defense a little bit differently. I'm starting to look at this defense by thinking maybe they can get back to that role because they played well as a five-man unit, specifically in their own end, without guys like Justin Falk, who is one of their shutdown defensemen. I mean, Pareko played nearly 28 minutes last night. You put Justin Falk in there, Pareko's probably playing 25 minutes. Marco Scandell is playing on your third pairing, and you might be talking about a different outcome. At least for me, I do know that there's a weakness there, but for right now, I'm not as concerned as some people would be with the way that this defense has been playing. Yeah, I'm kind. I'm still, I'm still very concerned about not having another top four defenseman. It does feel like that is still the number one hole in terms of positioning wise. Looking at this Blues team, I, I am though encouraged, like you said, about seeing them play over the last seven games because I, I'm with you. I think they have looked better defensively, and I think that does start with the Preko Mikola pairing because. Pareko, in my opinion, and maybe this is where we're coming from in this conversation, is Pareko's playing his best hockey so far the year, I believe. And Right I, now. Right now. Mm-hmm. And I think with him doing that, it takes a little bit more pressure off all the other guys. Because when Pareko, who's supposed to be as Doug Armstrong had called him in the past when Petrangelo left, he's now our alpha dog on the defensive, on the blue line. When he wasn't playing to that level, it kind of puts a little bit more pressure on other guys. It's almost as if someone was out and you had to step up a little bit because your top guy wasn't performing at his best. The last couple of games, he's been playing better, and I think it's having that trickle-down effect on the rest of the defensemen in terms of them kind of building from what Breko's doing and playing together as a whole because I think Robert, or excuse me, I think Mikel has played well with him. I think Krug has been solid. He was had a little bit of a rough game yesterday. In fact, Scandella, I didn't think he was all that great last night, but the last couple of games, I thought he's looked good in the as well. So, I think having Preko being that guy that's getting back to kind of his form is kind of leading to this trickle-down effect on the rest of the Blues. I'm glad you mentioned Mikel, and we'll get to him in just a bit, but there's a difference in, in issues for me for the defense because defensively, I think the Blues have played much better in terms of getting the puck, moving it out of their zone quickly, not getting caught, not turning the pucks over. I mean, there was a span there in November where it felt like every time – the puck was in their own zone. There were at least three turnovers to get the puck out. Now they've done better. Look at their penalty kill over the last couple of games. A lot more tighter. The other side of the defense is the part that Mikola comes into play here and the part that I think this team's lacking. It's the nastiness. 
It's the physical play in front of their net. It's making teams pay for going to the net. Nathan Walker is a perfect example. Like Nathan Walker had to pay a price last night because he kept going to the front of the net to try and get deflections. What happens? Well, you get cross-checked. You get thrown to the ice. You get that check to the middle of the back. I don't think the Blues are doing that right now. I don't think the Blues are making teams regret going to the front of the net, especially when there's rebound opportunities. And that's where Mikola comes into play. Can Mikola get to that nastiness of his game? Can he be that player that the Blues are lacking right now? Curbs talked about this on postgame last night. I, I don't think that our team has enough bite defensively no. yet. I don't, I don't think there's enough... There's enough threat of punishment or enough nastiness on, on, on the team, and I think other teams come into our zone and get a little too comfortable. So I think that's an area of growth that they have. But you had to wonder, do you have that player in, in Nico Mikola? I think you have to have that player in Nico Mikola because if he doesn't provide it, I don't know who will. Pareko's not going to. Krug's not going to. Falk will a little bit. Krug will a little bit too, but it's not to the degree that teams are like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to do that it's again. It's not to the level of, and correct me if this is a good comparison, correct me or if I'm wrong, Maybe a Joel Edmondson. Joel Edmondson, a, a really good example is what the Blues went through in those two games against Florida. Like Radko Gudis, um, Mackenzie Weger, Aaron Ekblad, they're guys that, that make you pay. I think after the first period last night, the Blues had four hits. That's where this team's lacking, and that's where you need Nico Mikla. That's that top four guy that you're looking for, T-Bone, and it's a growth period. It's what's going to happen, and the Blues' mentality defensively is more so of tying up sticks rather than throwing cross-checks because the officials call that a lot these days. But you're missing that. You're missing that element of the game, and you hope that Mikla can get there. I do love what he provides because every every now and then a player comes in and gets that extra pad uh, whack from a stick after the whistle's blown, and Mikola is the first one to come over and recognize that. You need that in his game. The problem is when you have a young player like that, you don't want him to get lost trying to throw the body check or trying to um, take a player down, getting a penalty, missing the pass. So it's a give and take right now, but it is an element that I think needs to be fixed. And I think it's different than the defensive side of the game. That's tighter. It's more so making players pay for what they do in front of the net. Yeah. And that's been an issue dating back to last year too. Remember that was the big issue last year. I mean, that was the easy to see issue. There'd be guys just standing around. There'd be no defenseman near. I'm not willing to knock him out of the way. I'm with you. The blues need Nico Mikola to be that because and I get that this doesn't tie into the defensive side of things because they just need someone to be a little bit nastier. And I think Robert Bortuzzo does this every now and then, but not enough, and he doesn't get enough ice time to be that guy that can provide that. It's up to Nico Mikola. He's 6'4". He's got a big body. He should be able to throw it around a little bit. And in my opinion, he's the last guy that you are looking at internally to see if you have a top-four defenseman. Yeah, you're right. If it's not Nico Mikola, then it has to come from outside the organization. And we had Brian Lutton on... Uh, one day last week, and he said, we, we tied this into the Vladimir Tarasenko discussion. He said, look, it's going to be hard for him to move Vladimir Tarasenko. It's going to be hard on the trade front as a whole. All these GMs are just tied up with money right now and the cap not going up. They're just all up against the cap. So making a trade is going to be very difficult. It is almost a need for the Blues that Nico Mikola is able to step up and kind of become a nastier, bigger body defenseman and also kind of come into this and mold into this top four defenseman for this team this year. Yeah, well, they're going to have to do that in these next two games against Dallas because Dallas has been playing much better. And you talk about a team that's not afraid to go to the front of the net, it's the Dallas Stars. So we'll see. And I think what comes into play there is also confidence for Nico Mikola, knowing that he's not going to get taken out of the lineup when 
um, a bad mistake happens. And right now he's not going to be. And I think that's why you've seen his game excel a little bit more than what it was towards the beginning of his ice time earlier this season. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, send your questions in Air Comfort Service text line 65780. But coming up next, reaction to week 14 in the NFL. It's our NFL rapid reaction here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Week 14 officially in the book with the exception of Monday Night Football, which you can hear here on 101 ESPN, Rams and Cardinals tonight. Pre-game. The Rams. Someone turn your mic off. Someone turn his mic off. 6.30 pregame, 7 o'clock, a little after kickoff. And again, you'll hear all that action here on 101 ESPN. We'll get to questions and answers coming up in our next segment. But now let's hit some NFL rapid reaction. And let's start with that Bills game as they lose to the Buccaneers in overtime. 33-27, an actually pretty entertaining game with the Bills down fight their way back into this one but can't get it done and then I found I think I saw Josh Allen was questionable afterwards so with that loss the Bills now are seven and six you got what five more games four more games four more games left I think it's going to take nine to get into the playoffs in the AFC but who knows with this and they currently sit in the seven seed the last wild card spot with the Browns Bengals Broncos and Steelers all right behind them. who knows with the AFC because it's such a crapshoot right now but after that loss coming off of a win are the Bills going to make the playoffs I think so like you said this AFC is such a crapshoot nobody shoot. knows in the in the AFC anymore basically if you if you go 500 the rest of the way you'll probably be in I mean, I never thought that they would lose to the Jaguars 9-6. to So I guess anything's possible. Looking at the remainder of their schedule, they're home against the Panthers next week. Then they're at the Patriots, home against the Falcons, home against the Jets. I mean, in theory, I think they win 3-4, of four, and that would get them into the playoffs. But they're trending in the wrong direction. I think, I think they will make the playoffs. But would I be shocked if they miss? No, I could easily see the uh, Bengals leapfrogging them and Indianapolis and the Chargers, to me, are going to be a playoff team. To me, it comes down to Buffalo and Cincinnati. I think I like Buffalo just because they have some experience in Josh Allen, but I would not be stunned if they were to end up missing the playoffs. Here's the benefit for the Bills. They play in the AFC East, and the next team that would be on their heels are the Miami Dolphins, but they're not catching the Patriots. So you are looking at a wild card and the problem is the teams above them right now are all playing much better we're going to talk about the Chiefs a little bit later but the Chiefs pick up a victory the Titans pick up a victory the Ravens lose and might be pushing themselves out of contention depending on what happens with Lamar Jackson you got the Chargers you got the Colts and frankly I think the Browns are playing much better especially after their win against the Ravens yesterday so I don't it's hard for me to say that the Bills aren't going to make the playoffs But I'm really questioning them being a playoff team because I think the Browns are a better team right now. The Colts are a better team. See, I think I can't back the Browns because I just haven't seen it all year. They've been kind of They've been inconsistent, but if they're healthy, which they've dealt with a lot. But here's the thing. If their defense plays like they did yesterday against Baltimore, I don't see how I can question them because the one thing the Bills defense isn't doing 
is what the Browns defense is doing. The same can be said about the Colts and the Colts have a potential MVP in Jonathan Taylor this season. So uh, I'm not too sure about this Buffalo Bills team. This AFC sucks. The other team that I'm not too sure about, and well, this has nothing to do with making the playoffs, but this is more so what the hell they're going to do with their head coach is Urban Meyer. Is he going to be fired after this season? Everything's going well in Jacksonville. Look, he, it's all sunshine. There's a pool. Look, he, everything was going fine until the bar video went trending. And then after that, the team finally picked up a victory. And then they continue to lose games. This was Urban Meyer after the game yesterday where reports surfaced that he got into a screaming match with Marvin Jones and that he called his assistant coaches losers. Here's Urban Meyer. What's the answer? Uh, start leaking information or some nonsense? No. No, that's nonsense. That's garbage. That's, uh, you know, that's once again, I've been very blessed. I've not really dealt with that. I've, been, I've not dealt with, well, did you hear what he said? What? No. Let's improve on offense and get our quarterback in a position to be successful. That's our focus. What someone's brother said or someone said, someone said, that will, that will occupy very little of my time. And if, if there is a source... That source is unemployed. I mean, within seconds. That sounds like a guy who's trying to, he's, something's going over here, and then he's like, hey, 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 look over here, look over here. The problem's not the source. The problem is you're getting into a screaming match with your player, and you're calling your assistant coaches losers with a rebuilding team. I know you can't fire a head coach after the first year, but there have been so many issues with Urban Meyer, and it's not like the connection between Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence have been incredible. I think you got to move on from the guy. I'm with you. I think this Urban Meyer experience, let's be honest, it probably should have ended today. They should have probably fired him after last yesterday's game. The offense has done nothing to improve. You have a young quarterback who was viewed as a generational-type quarterback in Trevor Lawrence that you took number one overall, and he showed, I, I think I heard Dan Orlovsky talk about this today, he showed no signs of real improvement this season. No. So I, I look at it and I say, okay, if – Trevor Lawrence hasn't shown signs of improvement. We have all this off-the-field drama. Why is it worth bringing some? Why is it worth bringing him back? Let him go. You tried it. It didn't work out. Go see if you can find a good offensive-minded head coach to replace Urban Meyer to try and fix Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, it's time for Urban Meyer to be fired from Jacksonville. Well, let's look at some of the under 500 teams in the NFC. Now that we talked about the AFC, which five or below 500 team in the NFC do you think is going to make the playoffs? Washington football team, the Vikings, the Eagles, the Falcons, the Saints, the Panthers, the Seahawks. Right now, Washington is sitting in a wild card spot, the final wild card spot uh, at six and seven. You got the Vikings, you got the Eagles, the Falcons, Saints, Panthers, Seahawks, all of those teams, six and seven and five and eight. Which of those which of those teams do you think will make the playoffs? Stinks for that one of these teams got to make the playoffs because they all are uh, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> If Seattle didn't have such the tough road to climb in terms of having to leapfrog all these teams, because those teams you list are in order via standings, Seattle has to leapfrog, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six teams to get into the playoffs. I would buy into them because I still have faith in Russell Wilson. But because they have to leapfrog so many teams, I think I'm going to stick with the Washington football team to be the playoff team. I think Taylor Heineke 
has played some good football. Now, he did get hurt yesterday. We'll see if that what the injury is. If he's out, then I would have to throw this out and probably go with the Vikings. But their defense has played pretty well. They almost came back and beat the Cowboys yesterday after I think they were down 21 nothing at one point. So I think I'm going to go with the Washington football team. I wouldn't be stunned if they make the playoffs, so a game below 500. So let's narrow these down. I'm done on the Panthers. I'm with you. I'm done on the Cam Newton experience in Carolina. I'm, I'm done on the Eagles. I don't see them you. making it. So that I'm done leaves, on the Falcons. You know what's so hard for me? And I don't know what the rest of their schedule looks like, but the offense makes me believe. The defense doesn't. The offense makes me believe that they can do it. So let's just narrow it down, though. You got the Vikings, the Falcons, and the Saints, and the Seahawks. Those four teams, Washington sitting in a playoff spot. Are any of those teams better than Washington right now? I, I, I think the... I think the Saints can be if Taysom Hill can follow up what he just did against the Jets, which I know it's the Jets. Uh, If I I were to rank the teams that we just went through, I think I would have the Saints at number one getting in, Seahawks two, Washington three, the Vikings four, and the Falcons five. I think that's where I would be at right now. Because the thing that I don't get with Washington is if they don't have Terry McLaren and Taylor Heineke is so hit and miss I just don't know if that defense can hold them in a playoff spot the rest of the way I'm with you but I think the thing that will benefit them is their schedule the remainder of the way because they're in the NFC East their their remaining schedule at the Eagles at the Cowboys that one I can see being a loss and then home against Eagles at the Giants I could easily see them winning three of their next four finishing up with the NFC East maybe they lose a game to the Eagles but Honestly, I would be stunned because I'm with you. I'm out on the Philadelphia Eagles as a team to make a run. But the Saints got the NFC South, and I don't know who they play the rest of the way, but they're going to have one more matchup against the Panthers, right? next week, I believe. So Tampa, and then they're going to have the Panthers one more. Yeah, let's see here. And then if you have a matchup against the Falcons. So the Saints remaining schedule at Tampa next week, Sunday Night Football. Home against the Dolphins, who are playing well. I would I honestly take Miami in that game. I think I would take the Saints in that game. And then home against the Panthers, as you mentioned, then at the Falcons. And so honestly, I think, they're at the same, I think they're at the same level as the Falcons, so yeah. that's a toss-up. I can see two victories of those. And I don't know if, I don't know if that'll be enough, because that would get you up to eight. Eight and seven. So it comes down to that Dolphins game. Yeah. And you know what? If you could beat the Dolphins, I don't see the Eagles getting three more wins. I don't see the Vikings getting three more wins. I don't see the Falcons or the Panthers getting three more wins. So it comes down to Washington and New Orleans, in my opinion. And if I were to bet on one team to get three more wins, it probably would be Washington. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. Final one before we get to our questions and answers segment. Which seven and six team do you trust more in the AFC playoff picture? The Colts, the Bills, the Browns, Bengals and Broncos can't believe I've reached this point. I think it's so the you Colts. Got, so you got the Colts who were on a bye, Bills who lost, Browns who won, Bengals lost, Broncos won. I think it's the Colts too. Because they're playing really good football. And earlier in the year, it was like, oh my gosh, this Carson Wentz experience. It's just how it ended in Philadelphia. He's played better football. Jonathan Taylor's playing at an elite level. He's gotten himself maybe not onto the Derrick Henry uh, kind of that tier, but he's right below it. He's playing that good. Uh, running the football hard. so And the Colts' defense is just awesome. It's loaded. I think it's the Colts. Of those teams that we just listed, I think I will lock in the Colts now as a playoff team. And they're a team that could fall out because every, these teams you mentioned are 7-6. Two of them are playoff teams. Three of them aren't. I think I would take the Colts. And honestly, I wouldn't be stunned if they were a team that would go on a little bit of a run because they have good defense. And then if Carson Winston can just take care of the ball and they can run the, the game out with Jonathan Taylor. 
You know what all of these teams that have that the Bills don't? A running game. Which is why I would probably put the Bills down towards the bottom of this list. Uh, Broncos running game's not that great. Did you see what Javante Williams did for back-to-back weeks as their number one guy? Yeah, but, I mean, they beat who, the oh, Giants I know, it was yesterday? the Lions, but Lions, still, that's right. Minnesota couldn't do it. That's fair. No fire back on that one. They he's, got Kirk Cousins. That's he's Tanner Hendrickson of Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, we will talk about the Springfield Express because they are having an impact. And is it time for T-Bone to find his new favorite goaltender? Because I think it's going to be one of those guys that played in the last uh, two games. What? I know. Whoso might be on the back burner. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We'll get into all that, but we got questions and answers. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We'll get those questions next year on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. senior NHL writer for ESPN. He's going to be coming up with us at about 1230 this afternoon. Plenty to get into with him with uh, the news of the Olympics, with the news of another team going into COVID protocol and having to postpone games. And then, of course, with this Blues team in. Let's start with that with our questions and answers here. Comfort Service text line is 65780. Oh, Alex, another team postpones their games. Why have the Blues not been able to postpone their games with all of these injuries? Thankfully, they haven't. Well, ju- well just that. I mean, they, they're, they've been injuries. Like, Calgary had to postpone because, one, they were coming into the U.S. They were supposed to play the Blackhawks. And I believe they put nine players on the COVID protocol and six of them all went in at the same time. So the difference there between the blues, they had one guy go on and then two guys go on at the same time. I don't know what the rule is, but I think if it's five or more players that go in at the same time, that the NHL has you postpone games because obviously that's considered a mini outbreak. So that's why the blues haven't been able to postpone any games. And, And frankly, I don't think they would want to postpone games um, throws you off because throws you off. And then like I was looking at the schedule, T-Bone, I was just telling you about it. January opens up February. Obviously they have the three weeks off for the Olympics, March and April. They're a dog race. Like, I mean, it's games every other day with a couple of back to back squished in there. You remember what November was? Basically that's what March and April will be for this team. So you really don't want to get into adding more games into that second mm-hmm. half scheduling. And I know it seems like, well, how can you say, well, it's a good thing the Blues have postponed games. Look, they're playing games shorthanded. Yeah, but I don't know if you want... A, it would mean more guys have been put into the COVID protocol. B, it means that kind of a this quote-unquote routine is going to be thrown off. I mean, you look at Calgary, they're missing three games in the next four days because of throwing all these guys into the list. And then it's going to be, okay, we got to get back on the ice. we got to get back into conditioning. I mean... I don't. I think if I'm understanding correctly, they can't be skating. I mean, it, it, they are yeah. shut down. Yeah, so they're not allowed to leave their house, basically. You, you you don't want that if you're the Blues. And I get it. It's kind of tough playing a game shorthanded, but you do not want to see them get shut down for a period of weeks. Plus, what would we talk about? Well, there's plenty to get into, like the Chicago Bears, T-Bone, from the 618. After the game last night, <clears throat> does Matt Nagy keep his job? I, I don't know how Matt Nagy keeps his job. I was watching. Um, he was having fun, though. That's what I was watching post game uh, on their broadcast last night. And uh, David Kaplan, uh, one of our favorites, Chicago reporter, he went off on a tangent for about 90 seconds because Nagy told at the uh, halftime interview that he's having fun out there. 
Good for him. How the hell can you say I'm having fun out there? I think I, I reading between the lines gives me a sense Matt knows he's going to be fired. That's kind of where I'm at, too. But why hasn't he been fired up to this point? I think it's just difficult to make a change in season. But not very often you see it in football. Yeah, Every now and then. I mean, but when it's this bad, it sure as hell seems like you'd fire it, let the interim take over, and then figure it out next year. I mean, I think Jacksonville's worse, and they haven't fired Urban Meyer. Aren't you doing more damage, though? Yeah, that's a good point. But, like, for Urban Meyer, he's got the background with it. You know, like, he's got the background with young players at the college level. Like, what does Matt Nagy have? The success in Kansas City? Yeah, I, I mean, aren't you doing more damage to a Justin Fields with him as your head coach than just having an interim takeover for the rest of this season and then find somebody for next year? I think, I mean, I'm with you because I, I would have. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> there are a lot of places it's really bad. Uh, I, I totally get tr- if you wanted to move on from him, but I think it's just okay. Let's have Justin Fields get through a first year and then we'll kind of clean things up after this year. I mean, if you moved on from it, is there really going to be that much of a difference? I don't think so, but I understand where people are coming from and saying we need to fire Matt Nagy. Trust me, I have a feeling he's going to be gone along with your GM at the beginning of next year. Yeah, I think you have to get rid of him. From the 980 Air Comfort Service text line 65780, Alex, all these issues that you were mentioning, like in front of the net presence and being more physical and issues with competing a whole game, especially the third quarter, all of these issues that they've had last year as well, and if they didn't get fixed last year, what do they need to do or can do to fix the issues that's been going on since the beginning of the season last year? I, I mean, I hate to say this because it's like, it's like a cop-out, but get healthy. I, I, I mean, Boo, I know. In, in all honesty, though, like we talked about this on Friday with Curbs. When healthy, this, I mean, even when not healthy, this offense has continued to roll. It wouldn't surprise me when healthy this offense right up there averaging about four to four and a half goals per game. Think about it. You put that with a defense that feels a little bit more secure in who they are, and you got identity pieces with Mikola and Tori Krug and Scott Perunovich with Falcon and Pareko. I mean, they can outscore their mistakes. That's what we have seen this year. The problem is how bad are those mistakes and can they clean them up? I don't know how you fix it other than get healthy See what you have. Now, when you're healthy, hopefully you're healthy in January and you could take it up to March when the trade deadline comes. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but I, I know everyone says we'll go to the trade market and find the guy. There's nobody out there. And when you find that guy, you have no cap space to make that work. So I, to me, how you fix this issue, you continue to groom Nico Mikola and Scott Perunovich so that they're confident in their own end. And you need to find certain roles for certain players. Like Marco Scandella, great penalty killer. Don't want him in the game late in a hockey game. Because last night, Justin Falk's healthy. You know who's on the ice last night in the final minutes of the game where Troy Terry scores that goal? Justin Falk, Falk and Tori Krug. Krug, Pareko, Mikola. Maybe Scandella slash Bortuzzo slash Perunovic for a little bit, but you shorten that bench when it's a tight game. That's where I think the biggest fix comes for this team yeah it's gonna have to come internally because as you mentioned that trade market a it doesn't seem like there's anything out there and we're still a ways away but b the cap space is going to be the biggest thing for them and i'm with you it comes to nico miko i said it earlier in the show if Mikola is going to have to become that guy that grooms into the top four role if not we'll see if the blues are able to win in that kind of that mindset you just brought up of 
well, can they outscore their opponent? I don't think they can win that way. I don't think they're they're built to win that way. I just don't know if they can. I don't know if they can win a Stanley Cup with that mentality. I, I think it has to have the mentality of that 19 run where it's we're going to be physical. We're going to keep you away from our net. We're going to play the forecheck, which they've done fairly well this year. I don't know if I want to see them getting into these quote-unquote track meet games with teams. I just don't know if they can win that way. I like this one from the 636. How many guys from injury and COVID list will be available for Friday's game? Let's get into that coming up next because the Springfield players, they have been very impactful on the Blues. But what's going to happen when these guys start to come back from injury? We're going to get into that next here on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. They shoot, they score! Logan Brown on a great feed from Dakota Joshua. Patience by Brown on the top of the crease. And the puck cleared back in. Brown again with Joshua. Brown to Joshua. Score! In Walker. Score! Walker looked like he might pass on the backhand to Sundquist. Instead, snaps a laser of a wrister. Glove side, it in. Well, the Springfield Thunderbirds are having a real impact for this Blues team. 5-1-3 and three in their last nine games, and they have gotten 20 points from Springfield Thunderbird depth players, which has been impactful for this team to keep their head above water. With Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario, it is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We got Greg Wyshynski of ESPN coming up at the bottom of the hour. You know, the fast lane was talking about this on Friday, and I talked about it with Jamie Rivers yesterday on our pregame show what do you do when this team starts to get healthy? Because if you don't know, Bozak's off the COVID list. Bennington and Falk come off the COVID list today. None of those players are going to be available for Tuesday's game, according to Craig Berube. Yesterday, postgame, he said that nobody knew coming into the lineup. David Perron has been skating, so you would imagine he's getting closer. Robert Thomas is still out day-to-day or week-to-week, however you want to look at it. Kairou was day-to-day. Shen's day-to-day. You have the possibility of by Friday seeing four or five players get back into the lineup. And if that's the case, the emergency loan players are sent down immediately. And for emergency loan, got to pull this up on cap friendly because frankly, there's a ton of them. Um, Nathan Walker, Matthew Pekka, Logan Brown, Dakota Joshua, John Gillies, Charlie Lindgren. All of those guys are sent down immediately once players return because they're on emergency loan. So you could see by Friday, five players having to go back down and players coming back into the lineup. But do you really want to send them all back down? Because here's my thing. Certain guys that I don't know if I would be sending back down for what they've accomplished with this Blues team. Like Logan Brown, Logan Brown needs to be up here. And I know Jamie Rivers said this uh, on Friday on the fast lane and yesterday on Riverside with me. I mean, he's got, what, three, four points in his last six games? Last night, he was playing as a number two, number three center. No, he was on the top line with O'Reilly and Saad last night. He was playing wing with those guys. He was on the number one power play unit in place of Jordan Cairo. I think you have to have Logan Brown up here. Dakota Joshua, look, as much as you have players like Tyler Bozak and Clem Costin and James Neal and Brayden Shen, I think you need Dakota Joshua because he brings that physical presence to the game. He only plays about eight minutes a night. 
But the eight minutes he plays, he seems to be having an impact. This is going to be a tough decision for Doug Armstrong deciding of, okay, well, they have to go back down, but can we recall this person? And if that is the case, who do we send down, send through waivers, possibly buy out? You don't know with all of this because you're trying to protect your assets. They are in a spot that (laughs) it's weird because you're in a spot where you're going, man, we really don't want to be here, but it's the old adage you hear of GMs of, Ah, if we have that problem, it's a good problem to have. And yet the Blues are having that right now. I think you have to keep Logan Brown up. I'm with you. He's got five points in, I think, the last nine, if I'm not mistaken. Two goals, three assists. He's a plus two. And I know that this isn't something that I've heard a lot of people saying. I would honestly consider keeping Nathan Walker up here right now. Four goals, one assist, five points in, what, two, three games? He's a plus five on the ice. I get it. He's not going to continue to be this kind of a goal scorer. But until that problem occurs to where he goes on a cold stretch, then I'll make the decision to send him back down. Pekka, I think he'll go back down. I would consider sending Joshua down right now and keeping Walker instead. But I would understand if he wanted to keep Dakota Joshua up here because he's kind of been up here before. He's been playing good hockey as well. Nathan Walker, to me, is going to be the curious case. But what happens to the team, I guess, is the better ask to this. Because, I mean, if you could David Perron back, he's going to be out for, man, what was it, November 26th was his last game. He's going to be out for nearly a month, and he hadn't been skating a whole lot. When you get Falk and Bennington and Bozak back, what were their symptoms like? Doug Armstrong said that they had little symptoms, which is a good sign. What I'm saying is they're going to take time to trend in the right direction. So do you give yourself a little bit of leeway and say, man, these guys are not 100% yet so that they can skate, they can get some practices in because after the game tomorrow, you have two days off before the home game on Friday. Do you continue to say, okay, well, let's just give them some time, make sure that they're up to speed to put these guys back in the lineup. I think you have to have the players who have an impact on this roster up here. Logan Brown, he has to be up here because he's creating offense. He's six foot six. He goes to the front of the net. I think you have to keep Charlie Lindgren up here because you don't know when Huso's going to be back. And Charlie Lindgren has shown the capability of backing up Jordan Bennington. That's what I was just going to bring up, too, is I'm very curious to see what the workload will be for Jordan Bennington when he comes back. And you mentioned that. It sounds like he's not going to be available Tuesday. I would expect we'll see Jordan Biddington Friday in Dallas. Or, sorry, here against Dallas. Friday here, yeah. That That's kind of my expectation. We'll see how it goes. I'm very curious, though, about his workload. Because remember, when Vili Husso came back from the COVID he list, he was exhausted. He, said he was exhausted after the first game. Yeah. Well, as much as we say, okay, well, when Bennington's back, he's got to carry the workload. But Charlie Lindgren's playing good hockey, which he has in his first three games with the St. Louis Blues, in between the pipes, then I have no issues with being cautious and allowing for time to kind of get Bennington's endurance built back up from missing, what's it been, two weeks pretty much at this point that he's been out. Allow him the time to get back, get back in the flow, get the endurance back up, build that workload back up and not just say, all right, Bennington's going to get the start and he's just going to be out there pretty much every day because I wouldn't expect that to happen. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you got to give the goaltenders credit. We were talking about this on postgame last night. Uh this is the first time you've used five goaltenders since the 15-16 season. you got to go back to the 2002 season when the Blues used more goaltenders, and it was seven guys that they went through. Holy cow. Seven guys. And Curbs and I looked at this. Every one of those players had a— really good. Well, I mean, that was the year that Curbs said they should have won the Stanley Cup. That was the year they got bounced by the Vancouver Canucks in the first round because the majority of those players were sick. But every goaltender that played that season picked up a victory. John Gillies nearly had a victory last night. You would have had five goaltenders who's picked up a victory for this Blues team. 
Like, if there's going to be one area that we give credit to this Blues team, where I think there's a lot of them, it's the scouting department, it's the front office staff of noticing the goaltenders and how they can impact a game. Like Doug Armstrong said that Charlie Lindgren, he had no idea who Charlie Lindgren, anything about him. He said that was all David Alexander, the goaltender coach, said that we need to sign this guy. And look at the impact he's had in two games. John Gillies was signed because he was on their taxi squad last season, brought him in, and he stopped 36 of 39 shots last night against a really good Anaheim Ducks team. My biggest thing with these Springfield Thunderbirds players, you don't want the play to drop off. You don't want the identity that this Blues team has gotten back to in their last four games to go away. They're hitting. They're playing physical. They're forechecking. They're creating offense. They're getting substantial ice time and building confidence in that Blues bench and in the Blues locker room. If you send down Dakota Joshua, if you send down Nathan Walker, if you say like Walker and Pekka, I hate to say this for people, they're going to go back down to the minors. Come on. I know. I I hate to say it for the guy who got a hat trick, the Aussie. They're going to go down because they, they did their job. But you look at Logan Brown and Dakota Joshua. These are the two players that if you send down, I'd be concerned the offense drops off a little bit. And again, I'm not putting them in the lineup over David Perron. Perron deserves to be in there. I'm not putting them in the lineup over Tyler Bozak. Bozak deserves to be in there. But when you have Costin and Neal come back, that's where I question, okay, do you keep these guys on the roster or do you go back to some of these Springfield Thunderbirds because they're the ones that are instilling life into this locker room? Yeah, and I think that's a good point because when these guys came up, this team felt like a fish out of water. It felt like you were on the verge of seeing kind of the floodgates open for this team because you were without some of your key guys. Well, the young guys come in, not only do they play well, but they're providing a little bit of energy. They're providing a little bit of a spark. I mean, look at the, I know we just sent Nathan Walker back down, but look at the smile on Nathan Walker's face every time he scores a goal. Look at the reaction from Dakota Joshua, the way he's been playing when he makes a nice move and gets the goal, I think, on Saturday. Look at the way Logan Brown's playing, and you can see kind of the, you even got a little bit of the story with Logan Brown of his dad used to play here. So these young guys are providing a spark, what happens when you have to make the decision of, okay, do I get rid of the spark or do I keep it in the lineup? And what happens when some of the guys that have been in the lineup already this year come back? I'm with you. That is going to be very interesting to see because it happens quite a bit where the young guys provide the spark, but then you get to the decision-making of, do we keep them on the team or not? And what happens if we don't? And that's the tough spot that the Blues are in right now. Yeah, and they're just not practicing today. They practice tomorrow for a morning skate out in Dallas. And uh, according to Craig Bruby last night, he said that nobody knew he's coming back into the lineup. So unless Cairo or Schenner are available to go, Blues might be bringing somebody else up on emergency loan for tomorrow's game against the Dallas Stars. Springfield. Well, you got Alex Torpchenko and know. you got Sam Annis. Uh, my favorite. Those are the two that I think you'd be looking at. But in all honesty, like the Springfield Thunderbirds had to play seven defensemen and 11 forwards because they don't have any more guys because they're all on this Blues roster. But hey, if you're picking up points, it's the only thing that matters. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll talk about the Blues situation with Greg Wyshynski of ESPN coming up in 15 minutes. But coming up next, let's get into some baseball because Jim Bowden put a grade out for the Cardinals offseason. A, A, A. AC. Has it just been average for this Cardinals team? We're going to get into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. So are the Cardinals just average? 
after this offseason so far? And I know there's still more, more offseason to go. And I can already hear Cardinals fans yelling, yeah, they're already average, Alex. They were expected to be. Did you hear Barnes yell from the office they need more talent? Yeah, sorry, Barnes. Didn't mean to call you out like that. Look, I, I would kind of have to agree with this, with what Jim Bowden put out. And Jim Bowden, of course, of The Athletic, former Major League Baseball general manager, been on the show a couple of times. This is what he put on the Cardinals offseason to this point. Gave him a C. I expected the Cardinals to land Max Scherzer, Robbie Ray, Kevin Gossman, or Marcus Stroman. Was surprised that they focused on Steven Matz instead. Matz is coming off arguably his best season, going 14-7 and with a 3.82 ERA and 29 starts for Toronto. But he allowed more than one per hit per inning pitched and posted an inflated whip of 1.334, which is about his norm. Matt's career record of 45 and 48 with a 4.24 ERA is more indicative of what Cardinals fans should expect. I'd like the signing more if it were a two-year contract. The four-year deal brings back memories of the Brett Cecil contract, Brett which Cecil. didn't end well. End quote. <laughs> Brett Cecil is making you. The Brett Cecil thing makes me a little concerned, but here's the thing. He's a bullpen pitcher. You're getting more from Steven Matz, the defense behind him. But I would agree it's an average offseason so far. You've made one move. You brought in Steven Matz. This team had a lot more holes I felt that needed to be filled than just the pitching side of things. And I don't know where you're at on this one, T-Bone, but look, Steven Matz I thought was a good signing for the Cardinals. I, I think he matches this team well. I might say it was Cool. It was cool, according to BK. It was $11 million, so it's not like I'm frustrated over it. And yeah, Ray, Gossman, Scherzer would have been nice. I'm not dropping $35 million for Max Scherzer for three years. But with that being said, it's hard to disagree with them being an average in offseason, and I don't know how you fix it. See, I, I, I think it's – I would give them a B so far. And the reason that I don't know if it's average is because heading into the year – or heading into the offseason, excuse me, is pretty – clear the Cardinals needed somebody to kind of be a innings eater for them. I think we all agreed that, I, and I know he said that he expected them to sign Scherzer, Ray, Gossman, Stroman. I never thought they were in that market. Maybe the Stroman one because of the way the deal ended up, but we didn't expect that to be his deal, which was three years and had uh, no trade trade clause in it. So I, I the Stroman one I could kind of understand, but the Scherzer one to me, the Gossman, the Ray, they were never going to be players into that. So where do you look? Look at the mid-tier guys, the Steven Matz, the John Gray. I get it. The four years isn't exactly what a lot of people would love like to see, but he wasn't signing for two, and it probably took that fourth year to really convince him to come to St. Louis. So I would give them a B because they have found the innings eater guy because I'm not sure they really had that. Maybe Adam Wainwright was that guy, but you needed to find someone that's been healthy over the last couple of years, and I get it. He dealt with a shoulder injury in 2020. Other than that, though, he's been fairly healthy in his career. And with the defense behind him, I don't expect his numbers to go back to where Jim Bowden had sent his career with a 4.24 ERA and the one hit per inning. I, I'm not saying he's going to win the Cy Young, like Greg Amsinger may have told us, but <laughs> I, I do think his numbers are going to be about what they were this year, where he had a 3.82 ERA and 29 starts going 14-7. and seven. I can honestly see the ERA being just a little bit lower because he has that good a defense behind him. The signing seems to fit perfectly. I understand where you would come from and where fans would come from and say, well, Steven Matt, he's a three, maybe a four. It's just an average signing. But it's an average signing that makes so much sense for this Cardinals team. That's why I give them a B because it filled part of that hole. I still think they need a bullpen arm. I still think they need an impact bat. But this signing to me made sense, and it was clearly, clearly the number one thing for them to do. 
on their to-do list heading into the offseason. Yeah, it's hard for me to give them a B, though, because if I'm grading the offseason, I'm grading it off of the areas of weakness that you've fulfilled, and you've only done that in one spot. You didn't do anything with your bullpen. In fact, you lost a bullpen piece with Luis Garcia and did an upgrade there, and I know there's still more offseason to go, but you don't know how much time you're going to have once the offseason fills up. You needed a bat, you didn't get a bat, and you needed something for your bench, and you didn't do that. And I know you can look at the younger players and the impact that they're going to have, Here's the here's my problem though with Jim Bowden's piece. It's really inconsistent. Like if you're going to give the Cardinals a C, okay, that's the grading scale. How the hell did the Boston Red Sox get a B? They traded Hunter Renfro for Jackie Bradley Jr. You tell me the better player in those two. Yeah. Hunter Renfro. Their free agents were Michael Waka, James Paxton and Rich Hill. How the hell did the Boston Red Sox get a B with that offseason and the Cardinals get a C? I can agree, I can agree with that at some point, but if it makes you feel better. I saw the Brewers got a C, and to me, that's a good sign for the Cardinals. The Atlanta Braves got a B. They got Jay Jackson for a player to be named later, which tells you who they acquired. And you signed Manny Pena and Kirby Yates, and you extended Charlie Morton for twenty million dollars. That's a B. So that's where I'm at with this. So you kind of take it with a grain of salt here, because yeah, the Cardinals got a C. Yeah, I think they're an average offseason. But the higher grades for some teams around Major League Baseball isn't that much of a difference in my opinion. But see, that's where I would probably come at the B because, now I'll just be honest, I don't know 100, I'm not as locked into the Boston Red Sox as I am the St. Louis Cardinals, but you mentioned those names, Michael Walker, who'd you say, James Paxton, and then... uh, Rich Hill. Oh yeah, Rich Hill, but they also acquired Jackie Bradley Jr., who had a very bad year for the Milwaukee Brewers. Now they did acquire some prospects in that deal from Milwaukee, so that probably helps with that. But they're adding starting pitching, knowing, hey, we have to find some guys that can help us in our rotation. They basically did what the Cardinals needed to do, except for they acquired some prospects in a trade, which they took on a bad contract in Jackie Bradley Jr. They basically did what the Cardinals said. Okay, what's our need? We need starting pitching. All right, let's go throw it out to some of these lower-level guys rather than the mid-tier guys. That's why, to me, the Cardinals did the exact same thing the Boston Red Sox did was, okay, what's our need that we need to accomplish right now? Go find a starting pitcher that's going to eat innings. We're not going to go dabble into that high-end market. We'll stick in the middle tier. We'll go get Steven Matz. He's our number one guy. They did that. That's why, to me, it's a B. It, my opinion, impact bat should have been the number one thing for them to try and target this offseason. They had a different view of it. They said our number one need is starting pitching. They've accomplished that. Maybe they'll add another guy. We'll see. But they accomplished getting to what their number one need was on their to-do list for this offseason, and that was adding a starting pitcher who I think is going to be really good here behind this defense. Let me ask you this, then. If you take into consideration, which I don't know if Bowden did this or not in terms of coaching staff offseason moves, the fact that they had the offseason they did with their new head coach or their new manager and with Skip Schumacher, that at least would make me believe that they're a B. Does that change anything for you? If you give them a B just with Mets, does it change anything with the with the coaching hires? Uh, no, because I just when I look at the offseason, I'm more focused on the players. The the coaching hire doesn't really have much of an effect for me. Uh, I, I think Marmol was the right guy because he seems like he's going to kind of look at platoons, and that's where it's going to be interesting when the lockout ends. It's because right now they don't really have – they do kind of with maybe a Gorman Yepes at DH or Gorman and Edmund at second base, but I don't see a guy that can hit right-handed pitching yet that could be a leadoff hitter for the Cardinals. So there's yeah. kind of that – aspect too of we're talking about you know they're not done yet we'll see how things play out 
the coaching hires to me didn't play into my grade for the Cardinals offseason moves, even though I do believe the moves, the hirings of Ollie Marble as manager and Skip Schumacher as bench coach were the right moves. Yeah, I think team. it's going to take a couple of other moves and some significant moves if the Cardinals want to, uh, at least in my opinion, go above the average grade rating the, that Jim Bowden handed out. The text line might have this right. I'll just see if I can find this. I think it's from 314. Jim doesn't know he's a great guy. Do what? Jim doesn't know he's a great guy. Steven isn't. Remember, most of oh. one of the reasons was because he's a great guy. Well, that is that does trump a lot here. Know. That trumps a lot here in St. Louis when you get a guy who's a good player. Yeah, no good guy. That's what I'm saying. A good player. No. <laughs> he's Tanner Hendrickson of Alex Ferrario. We got the junk drawer coming up in 15 minutes. But up next, senior NHL writer at ESPN, Greg Wyshynski, joins us next year on BKM Ferrario. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. And I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK this week. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Blues and Stars back in action tomorrow night, as you heard Tanner mention. And as of right now, according to Craig Bruby, no new players coming into the lineup tomorrow. And they didn't play last night with Jordan Cairo and Braden Shen left in this one. So the injuries continue to pile up for this St. Louis Blues team. 11 guys now out, I guess 12 guys out of the lineup now for the Blues after Jordan Cairo yesterday. And yet this team still continues to find ways to pick up points. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line now and welcome in one of my favorite writers. He's over at ESPN, senior NHL writer. You can follow him on Twitter at Wyshynski. He is Greg Wyshynski. Greg, how are you today, buddy? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Definitely. Well, let's jump right into it with this Blues team. As I just mentioned coming out of the break, more injuries continue to pile up. I I don't know how to evaluate this team, and I'm sure you're kind of sitting in the same spot because all of these guys out, it's hard to look at it and say, well, they're bad defensively or they're still scoring goals. But the one way to look at it is at least they're picking up points. (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, hey, listen, no shame in losing on a penalty shot in overtime, right? These things happen. But uh, the point of uh, picking up a point in that game against a Ducks team that's been quite good this season and obviously having a lot of success on the rest of the homestand, um, you have to be pretty happy with that considering the absence in the lineup. And look, when this team has been at full strength, I've been really surprised uh, how effective it's been this season. Um, I, I remember thinking uh maybe last month when watching the blues and, and kind of considering the construction of the team and the quality depth that they have throughout that lineup now that you've you've had players like like Cairo really emerge as being uh offensive forces thinking to myself that maybe we slept on this team a little bit uh as as a as a hockey uh media uh prognostication uh arm you know like maybe we didn't look at the blues long enough and say you know, much like the Washington Capitals are doing over in the Eastern Conference, that maybe these teams that have won cups in recent years could boomerang back and, and potentially challenge for one again. I mean, that's that's how good the Blues, when they've been at full strength, have looked at times this season. So let's hope they get there again. Yeah, I'm with you on this one 100%, Greg. So uh, if I were to give you the two options in saying which one had more of an impact or which one have you been more impressed by this season, the way that Doug Armstrong and the front office have con- 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 uh, put together this roster with the depth in the minors and, of course, the NHL roster, or the way the coaching staff has been able to navigate through all of these injuries, which one has impressed you more? I would say the roster construction because I think they made some really strong upgrades in the off season. I, I, I love the sod move. I think the, the Busnevich move re- remains one of the, uh, the, the highway robberies of the off season <laughs> with the way that guy can play. 
Um, I mean, and, and the versatility in his game, too, is really what, what I think sets him apart is his ability to play different roles when, when needed. That's always been one of the things I've been most impressed with him through the years in, in watching him with the Rangers. Uh, so I would say that those, those upgrades that he made, but, you know, the thing about Doug that I've, I've, you know, I think we've all come to realize now that we've seen some of these younger players really step to the forefront and, uh, and, and bring it uh, in, in ways like what Kairou has this year. Um, is just his ability to to hold on to those prospects. I mean, uh, we always go back to the the O'Reilly trade as being, you know, one of the perhaps the biggest reason why the Blues won the Cup, and and the fact that he didn't have to give up Thomas or Cairo in that trade uh, obviously benefited the Blues for years to come, and, and probably set the Sabres back for years to come as well. Greg. I- I feel like this team, you mentioned the depth for the Blues and talk with at the forward position there. I still feel, kind of a two-part question here for you, I still feel like this team is missing a top four defenseman. So my first question is, who do you have, is there someone on your mind that you think the Blues could maybe acquire to fill that role? And then the second part of that question is, it seems like it's going to be tough to pull that off because the Blues are so up against the cap. But if they're so deep at the forward position, do they necessarily need to add another top four defenseman to help them out? Can they still win if they don't have them? Yeah, I think they can, but I mean, listen, it's when you get into the postseason, you obviously want to have as much quality defensive depth as you can muster. I think the, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning, we always look at them and, and, and see their lineup and see those, those big names making plays and obviously their goaltender making plays, but it's also their ability to roll out guys and have guys fill in if, if you do suffer injuries in the, in the postseason. So depth is always the key. As far as uh, names the target, that's really contingent on who feels they're out of the mix when it comes to around the, uh, the, the trade deadline. And, and in a league where parity is the name of the game in a league where some of the teams that we thought might be sellers are all of a sudden, you know, challenging and, and inside playoff spots right now. I mean, the ducks being one of them, for example, that I think we all had penciled in for the bottom of their division and all of a sudden they're a playoff team potentially it's really hard to kind of figure out what those marketplaces are going to turn out to be until we kind of see who, who fades. I mean, for goodness sake, I think about two weeks ago, we all thought Vancouver could be a seller and now Bruce Boudreaux's got them uh, winning every game. So who even knows with that? So it's really hard to figure out what the marketplace is going to look like going forward because it really is contingent on, which teams believe they're they're on the outs. You know, on the defensive side, and we're talking with Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer at ESPN. Uh, on the on the Pareko or on the defensive side, Greg, for this Blues team, we talked with Brian Lawton last week of NHL Network, and he said that he's not sold on Colton Pareko being that number one defenseman. Uh, where are you at with Pareko being that that top dog for the Blues? And do you feel like he and Nico Mikola can at least become a shutdown pair for him? I think they could. I mean, I, I thought, you know, and, and it's, it's been inconsistent, but I thought he had a decent bounce back from last season. I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's pretty easy to bounce back from the season he had last year. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it, it, anywhere, uh, it's all anywhere but up, right? You're right. After that. Um, but, no, I, I, I've always liked him as a player. I think that the number one defenseman thing can be kind of – of a burden as far as labels go. I mean, Alex Petrangelo obviously wore that title well, continues to do so with the Vegas Golden Knights. And it's no shame that maybe Colton Pareko can't be that same type of player, even though I think he's had moments in his career where we've looked at him and said maybe he could be, or, or maybe there are certain, certain situations in which he could be projected to be that guy. 
I just think he's, I just think he's a real good defenseman, you know, I, and I don't think there's any shame in, in not being that next level tier guy of a Petrangelo or, or a headman or someone like that. Just play good hockey, be a good pairing. Give me 22 minutes tonight and I'll be happy. Is that the biggest weakness on this team though, in your opinion, Greg, the defensive side of, of things? Well, yeah, I, I mean, undoubtedly <laughs> when you compare it to the other things that have, that have gone right for the team. I mean, in like in Bennington's case, for example, um, I think someone, I think it might've been uh, Stephen Valiquet, uh in a recent uh, goalie tears article that we had, um, or maybe it was Kevin Weeks. I forget who it was uh, kind of, you know, it indicated that, that uh, Biddington reminds them a little bit of Grant Fuhrer in the 1980s of guys that just, uh, um, can kind of win, not necessarily have the greatest numbers, but they find ways to win. And at the end of the day, um, you ask a goaltender, and goaltenders is all they really care about is is the W. So I think, from his perspective, I think that he's he's been good. So I mean, by process of elimination, you'd have to say the defense overall for the team has been kind of a troubling spot. And um, we'll see we'll see where that trends in in the second half of the season. Again, it's hard. Like you said at the top, it's hard to really evaluate. Um, when you're dealing with so many people that are in and out of the lineup, uh, seemingly for like the last month, that it's really hard to get a handle on what this team's going to ultimately look like. Greg, one of the big storylines for us here heading into the year was Vladimir Tarasenko, and he had put in the trade requ- request. I'm curious, where do you think, do you think he's going to remain at blue throughout the season, or do you think he's someone that we could see see being dealt at the trade deadline? <laughs> That's a good question, man, because, I mean, I don't know where his head's at. I, I know that they, he definitely was, not happy with the way that the team handled his injury situation, um, but they didn't move him. So that tells you where the Blues head was at insofar as moving him out. Uh, they felt that he was, uh, you know, more valuable of an asset than what they were getting back potentially in, in trade returns. So, I mean, that's really a question for, for him and Doug Armstrong insofar as what that relationship looks like these days. Winning solves everything. Him playing well probably solves some things too. Um, but, as far as his future or potential moving at the trade deadline, I, I couldn't speculate on that. I mean, I only, I only know what I knew in the offseason. Final one for Greg Wyshynski, who is kindly with us here on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Greg, you had a piece a couple of days ago talking about how the NHLPA is a little skeptical of, of the Olympics and the NHL players going over uh, in February. And we've already seen another team go have to postpone games, the Calgary Flames. We've seen one player opt out of the Olympics. And, and with this COVID protocol to where if they come down with, with, with a positive test in China, they got to stay there for three to five weeks. Do you think that this possibility of seeing the NHL players over in Beijing for uh, February is starting to uh, get uh, bleaker and bleaker? It is. I mean, there's a lot of pessimism right now. I think for the players, what they're looking for is clarity. That's uh, what uh, Executive Director Don Fear told me in that article that you can find at ESPN right now. Uh, They just don't know yet, formally from the Beijing Olympic Organizing Committee, what the quarantine situation looks like. And I mean, that's not only the duration of, of how long they'd have to be there. It's also where they'd have to spend it. If they're symptomatic, they have to be in a hospital. Where's the hospital? They don't know. Uh, it could be a hundred miles away from Beijing for all they know. Uh, if there's the possibility of getting those players out of China, so they can quarantine someplace else. They don't know if that's possible. So there's a lot of sort of mysteries around this whole process that the players are waiting for clarity on. There's going to be a call between the NHL, the PA, the IIHF, the IOC to talk about medical things. And then there's supposed to be another handbook sent to the athletes in the near future that's going to detail some of these protocols a little bit more. But one thing that I'm hearing more and more of from these players 
it's not simply just being away from their families potentially for another three weeks if they test positive and they're symptomatic over in Beijing. It's also a financial situation in the sense that there's a $5 million slush fund that the IIHF created to cover the salary losses potentially for players if they miss time because they contracted COVID in Beijing. When the, the NHL and the NHLPA struck this deal to have the players go and play in China, part of the deal was if these players get sick over there um, and miss practice or miss games in the NHL, they don't get paid. So now all of a sudden you're thinking three weeks in quarantine in China, three weeks away from my gig in the NHL, three weeks of missed salary on top of not being around your family and being stuck in China. It's, it, it kind of starts adding up, and I, and I think there are a lot of concerns right now for the players um, that, that lead towards this sense of pessimism that we're seeing. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting next few weeks to find out if more players kind of decide to opt out like we saw Robin Leonard do uh, for the upcoming Olympics. Greg Wyshynski, always appreciate the time, buddy. Great stuff as always, and I look forward to chatting with you again real soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me. There you go. One of my favorites, Greg Wyshynski. You can check out his work at ESPN.com, and you could follow him on Twitter, at Wyshynski. That's W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. Uh, the one that really got me there, T-Bone, uh, is what he said at the beginning of that and said that maybe some of the national side underplayed the Blues, thinking that they weren't a contender. And that sticks out to me because you haven't seen what this roster looks like yet, and they're still doing this. And if he's saying that and we are seeing it, Maybe the, maybe we're looking at this team a little bit differently than what we were in the month of November. Yeah, going to be very interesting to see because, as you said, they're doing this without their top guys. What happens? Not what happens when they get back to being healthy? Yeah, and I think we can get our Stanley Cup tattoo tattoo. You going to get already. one? You yeah. do, you pulling a Randy Carricker right now though? Oh, no, wait until they win it. I oh, you're I'm just going to go right now? now. Well, he, you heard him. He just said. I don't think you can make it through a tattoo. Plain and simple. Oh, probably not. <laughs> By the way, if you're curious, um, uh, th- there's a there's a follow on Twitter. I want to make sure I get them right because they are actually huge because this is such a hard thing to find was man games lost in the NHL. It's NHL Injury Viz on Twitter. And as of December 11th, the Blues were ranked 10th in the National Hockey League in man games lost. They've had 97. Now, obviously, with two games played since then, might be a little bit of a different outcome there, but... 10th in the NHL. I mean, nine more teams have had more games lost than you, which feels like it's absurd because the Blues seem like they are the biggest um, devastation in terms of man games lost. But hey, still finding ways to pick up points, and you're seeing other teams do it as well. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. Uh, Wyshynski also talked about Pareko and Mikola there. We'll get into that at the top of the hour, but coming up next, we got the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. So we're going to get to in or out. You can send your scenarios over to us at the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. But now we get into the junk drawer. And T-Bone, I know people have been asking about BK's wedding. And boy, do we have some stories from this one. Yeah, we'll start with BK taking his shirt off. Whoa. Oh, no, no, that never happened. That never happened. Whoa. 
By the way, let me address this one, too, because I had a bunch of tweets Saturday night. So so we left a little earlier because our baby at her mother-in-law's was... Blame the kid. I know, you got to blame the kid. No, she apparently was not going to sleep, and we were like, okay, we're going to have to go get this kid because sooner or later she is just going to start freaking out. So I had put a tweet out afterwards just saying how great of a wedding it was, and I must have misspelled like four words. And everyone was like, oh, Ferrario's got to just be toasted after that wedding. I didn't even drink at the wedding. I had one drink. Wait, was this? Well, that might put you over the top with you well, and your I guess seltzers. That's true. And I saw what you had. I guess that's true. Was this the tweet that it was? I, I misspelled tweet, bride and I misspelled something this else. Must, this must really explain how bad my spelling is because, like, I read that tweet and just and you were like, "Oh, that's got to be yeah, spot on." This is all right. Sounds like, about right. I did not pick up on any spelling here. So let's see if I can find this now. Were you really that far off no, on it? It was bad. It was bad. Man, you tweet a lot. Yeah. Anyway, so. For people that listened last week, we put together a bunch of wagers going into this game. Game. Going into this wedding. Because it was kind of a game if you're betting on it. Yeah. And I had texted one out. I texted a bunch of them out on Friday to our group uh, going into this wedding. Oh, my. You did spell right wrong. Yeah. And so I put the scenarios out there. And did we get to the wedding, T-Bone? And the ceremony begins, first of all. The pastor gives a shout out to BK and Ferrario. Like, shout out. Like out the, the first words out of his mouth were, I'm going to do my best not to say BK and Ferrario. And you know, we both had different reactions. Like you yeah. put your head down like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he just said my name. Yeah. And then my reaction was almost to scream like Joey does. Shout out because I thought it was pretty cool. We got a name mentioned. <laughs> I ducked down immediately. I'm like, oh God, don't, don't. Not it's at like the, the wedding. classic like slide yeah, in it's his like, chair. It's like not at a wedding. Come on now, please. So so that happens. And then the next thing out of his mouth was he's like, so I also hear that uh, there's, there's some wagers going on around the wedding today. And one of them is BK is going to cry at some point. It definitely affected the wager. The pastor threw us under the bus. I couldn't believe that. He th- we were we were going to surprise BK when he got back next week and be like, man, we bet on your wedding. We had all these scenarios. And he threw us under the bus. I was stunned that he gave us the name mention. I was even more stunned when he brought that up because that was really the one that I was like, oh, holy blank. He really caught us <laughs> empty handed. Like, just did that. And then, of course, so we didn't get the crying wager. We had the over under set at what? I think I put it one at two and, and, and a half. Or two and I had and two and a half. Yeah. He I don't looked, think we hit it. I asked him afterwards because he looked like he started to tear up a little bit when he saw Kara. That's the number one time that everyone cries if you're a groom. When when you see the bride for the first time, that's when you start to get a little choked up. And I asked him, I said, BK, did you cry? And he goes, no, man, I didn't. Man, you look like you tried to force away. That's like the only one that I caught, though. Otherwise, I didn't see it. Well, Grant, yeah. That was really the most I probably saw him. I saw him a little bit at the reception, yeah. but not a lot. Someone texted in and said, bad friend, you're supposed to get hammered and take the focus off the bro- groom being sauce. Yeah, way to go. Is that true? Is that like the thing? Why'd you look at me when you said that? Like, I don't know. You've been to weddings before, right? Yeah, but none for like my friends. <laughs> All my friends are like my age, 22, yeah. not getting married. Other than that, though, you know, they didn't really hit on any of the other ones. The groom didn't mention the Chiefs. That was one of our bet. He did mention the Royals. He mentioned which the was Royals. Off. I was like, oh, man, I thought he would have gone Chiefs there. Uh, we had the under on the brides or the. No, we took the over on the brides ma- or the maid of honor speech, and, and she, she went under, under. And I took the over in the groom speech, and that one went over. Yeah, and so I didn't get carded, so you lost. So you lost on that one. Yeah, someone texted in and said, "What did the pastor pick over under?" I, you, you know, yeah, that's a good question. He probably actually. took the under and was yeah. like, "I'm going to make sure that this doesn't happen." 
the other one too was I never two that I thought were really going to happen. I never heard Keith make any mention of the grill. Keith didn't give a speech. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'll have to ask him about that. Maybe Keith didn't feel like I didn't even get to talk. I only talked to Keith for a little bit there. I had one quick conversation with him. Yes, and it was when we were leaving the church, and he's I introduced myself and said, you know, Tanner Hendrickson, I work with BK. I'm the producer. And the first thing he said to me was, "Yeah, you look about as young as they say you are." (laughs) Keith, of course, is Kara's dad. First words out of his mouth when he saw Tanner fantastic the other thing that we didn't hear but i think was mentioned and i don't know how this would count was the closet story we heard it a bunch when kara was here when we did the newlywed game yeah did not hear it i think it was referenced by uh the maid of honor but was not was not directly uh said nope so by the way and i didn't know who spent who spent more time on the dance floor was it bk or kara it had to be kara was it I, I saw BK roaming around a lot. Yeah. In fact, I think one time he hugged me, and I'm not sure what we hugged about. But, yeah, yeah I think it was Kara. By the way, I think the pastor or the priest had to, uh, I think we had like an Urban Meyer leak. You think we got a leak? Yeah. And well, I, there was only a certain amount of guys who could have leaked it. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, it's true. Who do you think we it can, is? I don't you know. AS might be the initials. Oh. Are you throwing Anthony Stalter under the bus? Oh, I didn't say his Are name. Are you throwing Stalter under the bus? I think he may what, have been if he, what if he is just a huge fan of BK and Ferrari and listens all the time? Well, then, hey, thanks for the shout out, <laughs> my man. But for, no, but in all for some reason, I think there was a leak. We'll find out on the crossover. In all honesty, though, it was a phenomenal wedding. Um, props to BK and Kara and the family. They put together a beautiful ceremony, beautiful reception, uh, and congratulations to both of them. They're on their way to Punta Cana, and they'll be there for that entire this entire week. Uh, BK's off on Monday, and then we'll get more stories from him on Tuesday. We'll find out if it was a success on there. I can't believe you threw Stoltz under the bus. I think it was him. Unbelievable. By, by the way... I really, as I'm happy for both of them. I better not get a text from BK of him on a freaking beach. Oh, he will. I know it's going to be nice here, but I still don't want to see it. You know he will. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. We will take a break. When we come back, can Pareko and Mikola be the shutdown pair that the Blues need? And it sounds like T-Bone's already searching that that uh, trade market Tinder for this Blues team. We'll get into that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Today's defense overall for the team has been kind of a troubling spot. And um, we'll see We'll see where that trends in, in the second half of the season. Again, it's hard, like you said at the top, it's hard to really evaluate um, when you're dealing with so many people that are in and out of the lineup uh, seemingly for like the last month, that it's really hard to get a handle on what this team's going to ultimately look like. That's Greg Wyshynski, who was with us last hour. If you missed the interview with the senior NHL writer for ESPN, you can check it out on the podcast page afterwards, 101ESPN.com, with Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. So the Blues are still searching for that shutdown pair. They've tried Pareko and Scandella. That was what they started off with, and it worked out well for at least the beginning of the season. But then when injuries started to pile up, struggles came in for those two, and it just never really meshed. As then they went to, boy, I mean, they went through every scenario. We saw Pareko skate with Wallman for a little bit. We saw Pareko skate with Krug. We saw Pareko and Falk together. They've been searching. Is it possible that their shutdown pair could be Pareko and Nico Mikla? For me, I think it's possible. And I think it comes down to just giving Mikola the time to do it. If you give him the confidence to where he's not looking over his shoulder, wondering when the next guy's going to step in and take his spot, 
think that's where you come into it and say maybe Mikola can get to this because look, he's big, he's physical, got has a little nastiness to his game. Take some penalties that you don't like occasionally, but you need him to be a big presence on the ice and you need him to be reliable with Colton Pareko. The question is how long is it going to take to get there? Because if it's going to take them up until March, April, to where he feels comfortable in the lineup as a shutdown pair, that might not be enough time for this Blues team. Because, look, the Central Division's just continuing to stay tough. I mean, you got the Stars who are seven points out. You got the Predators who are right there with you. Uh, the Wild who are running away with things. The Colorado Avalanche, the Winnipeg Jets. Everyone seems to be in it right now. You need a shutdown pair. And I think you need Mikola to step into that. Because as soon as you get that pairing mate with Pareko, that's when you're going to get a better Colton Pareko, in my opinion. Yeah, I- I'm with you. I think once you get that guy that's going to kind of mesh well with Colton Pareko, then I think you're going to have that kind of solved and you're going to get Colton Pareko back to where he's playing at his elite level. And I think we've seen a little bit of that in the last couple of games. I think Pareko's looked really good. Uh, but I think it is Nico Mikola or Bust. And I'm with you. It's going to take time. I'm not saying he's got to be a lockdown defenseman within the next five games before you move on. No, you have to give him time. you got to give him time to kind of groom into this role and kind of build some chemistry with Colton Pareko because, like you said, they've already tried Marco Scandella. He had been someone with him in the past before, going back to last year. They tried uh, Tory Krug. They've tried uh, all bun- all those different combinations you said. This one feels like it might be the one, though, that could work because they're two big-body guys. They both have long sticks, and I think that's what Craig Brewey mentioned last week talking about this pairing was you know they can take up a lot of space and they are bigger bodies so they should be able to clear out the front of the net which has been an issue for this team. I do believe it is Nico Nico Mikola or bust in terms of finding your fourth your another top four defenseman internally. If if you find out he's not that guy, then you're going to have to search the trade market because I'm not sure Scott Prunovich is ready to take on that role yet. I think he will be a top four defenseman in his career, but he's. I think younger than me, and he's only played about 10 NHL games. So I don't want to throw him into that spot and put him in a tough scenario in which he has to be the quote-unquote savior for the defense. Nobody's younger than you, first of all, Tanner. Nobody. My nine-month-old daughter isn't younger than you. Anyway, here's Craig Berube. And by the way, I think that those two had their best showing on the ice this homestand. The three of the four games, they struggled a little bit against the Anaheim Ducks, but I thought that's where they have looked their best. And Craig Berube talked a little bit about the pairing over the weekend. But they were solid, you know. They didn't give a lot of room up out there. You know, I think, you know, they closed on people. They are tight. You know, when our D are tight, coming out of the offensive zone, tight through the neutral zone, holding lines, it's they're, they're tough to play against, those two big guys especially. Well, they have to do a consistency. That's where this comes down to. And the biggest thing for Mikola, I think, is he wants to be in the offense. He wants to jump into the rush. And, and he's got a hell of a shot. We've seen it turn into goals a couple of times. But you get caught off guard a little bit. You have to rush back. You find yourself in a bad situation. But here's here's where they have to be better, though. So according to this, 44 scoring chances for, 63 scoring chances against. This is courtesy of Natural Stat Trick. Four goals for, nine goals against. This is where it comes into play, though, for me. 5.35 expected goals against and 27 high-danger scoring chances against. Those numbers have to improve if you're going to be a shutdown pair, especially, especially when you're talking about the Minnesota Wild, the Dallas Stars, the Colorado Avalanche, the Nashville Predators, because they play physical. They play in front of the net. If you don't have those two tightening up in that area, you could be talking about a problem in that area. Yeah, 
And I think we're going to see kind of this. I mean, you just mentioned the Dallas Stars. We'll see how they look against them in the next two games. And then you're at Winnipeg on Sunday. So we'll, we'll kind of get an idea. What'll be interesting, we'll see if they're paired together in about two, three weeks here, is right before the Christmas break, you're in Toronto going against a really good Toronto team. I'll be very curious to see what this pairing looks like if they're paired together going against that high-powered offense. And same with the Edmonton Oilers when they come back to Well, I'll town. be interested to find out what they do when, when Falk's ready to go. Because Falk's in the lineup. That's a good point, Who's too. the one that comes out? Am I, I mean... I would think right now, it's got, to me, it has to be Scandella. I think Portugal's been okay in his limited numbers. It doesn't. It wouldn't surprise me if Scott Perunovic has a game or two where he just watches from up top. They like to do that with younger players just to kind of see where you're at. And, I mean, he's played consistently since he has been recalled because of all of these injuries. But you're right. I I think it comes down to Scandella or Bortuzzo. But in my opinion, if you do that, you're taking – and this is why I bring it up. You're taking that physical element out of your game. Like it or not, people don't – Bortuzzo? And Scandella. Like it or not, those two – play a physical brand of hockey. They get caught in their own zone a couple of times. They, they get caught puck watching and they get beat in front of the net. But they're the two that bring the physical brand of hockey. You take them out. Well, that's where Mikla has to step up. That's where Mikla has to step up. And in my opinion, you're going to have to get a little bit more from Kruger Pareko in that area. And I would I would say Pareko because I don't... Kruger's a smaller guy and is feisty, but I don't expect him to play a, as physical a brand of game as I would say a Marco Scandello or Robert Bortuzzo. To me, it has to be Marco Scandella, though, and I hate to sound like I'm always taking shots against Marco Scandella, but he just has not lived up to the expectation I think we had on him coming into this year. And if I look at a depth chart, you just told me to just take out any factors away from it, just base base your depth chart on the way you've seen them play on the ice, not whether they're right-handed, left-handed, or their years of experience. To me, he's the seventh guy right now, and that's including throwing Justin Falk into that, and he's yeah. coming off of the COVID list. I. To me, it's Marcos Candela, and that's a tough, tough thing because he's got a multi-year contract and he has a decent gap hit too. But if I want the best team on the ice, I think Marcos Candela has to be the guy that goes up to the press box. Well, look, everyone's texting and asking, you know, can you do a three or four team trade with this guy? Can you bring this player? And it's not going to be easy to bring in trade uh, trade pieces to try and upgrade that defense. We've talked a lot about that. But anytime Tanner texts me and says, "What about this guy? What about that guy?" I'm assuming he's pretending he's on Tinder. And you texted me last night and you gave two names on the defensive side. So let's hear it. Yeah. So I was reading the St. Louis Post Dispatch and two names that I saw that were thrown in there. We may have talked about this one before. Ben Chariot, I believe. Chariot. Chariot. Okay, maybe we haven't talked about him before. <laughs> uh, the Montreal Canadiens has a $3.5 million cap hit, has a modified no-trade clause. He will be a unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. So far this year, 29 games played, five goals, one assist, six points. He's a minus 11, but granted, he's playing in Montreal. Is he someone that you might have interest in? To me, he's Marco Scandella. Ew. I mean, he's essentially Marco Scandella. He plays the left side. He's six foot three, 234 pounds. He actually had a really decent playoff run last year with Montreal to get them to the Stanley Cup final. He does play a physical brand of hockey, but look at his numbers. He's a minus 11 this season. Yeah, but he plays in Montreal. Well, I get it. He plays in Montreal. Team stat. But, I, I mean, essentially, yes, like he could be that guy for you, but everyone's reporting that he's going to cost you a first-round draft pick. And I don't know if you want to give up a first-round draft pick for a guy. A rental. Who? A rental, but also a guy who is essentially the same player that you already have in your organization. All right. And then the other one, 
that I had, and he's with the Seattle Kraken right now. Mark Giordano, $6.75 million cap hit, a little price here. Modified <laughs> no-trade clause. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year as well. So far this year, 21 games played, three goals, five assists, eight points, minus seven. Does average less ice time than uh, the other guy does. Can't pronounce his name still. Ben Sherrod. But... <laughs> He's another one yeah, to me. Look, he's 38, if I'm not mistaken, uh-huh. so he's older, too. I, I like Mark Giordano, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the Blues were rumored to have interest in him last year uh, as a trade from the Calgary Flames. Obviously didn't get done. You can't make $6.5 million work unless you're going to have somebody eat some of that salary. Maybe Seattle does if you give them something nice in return. Giordano matches this team. Physical guy, can play about 23 minutes a night if you need him to. He would make sense to play on the left side with Colton Pareko. But again, that's why this is going to be so difficult because I don't know if you can make this work. You're going to have to give up a lot to make sure that the other team eats some salary. And do you want to do that for one rental and two a guy who's 38 years old? Yeah, that, that when I saw the cap hit of him, because when I first saw the name, I was like, oh, yeah, that name, I recognize that name from when he was with who? Calgary, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, he was uh, the captain for Calgary, and, I mean, he's been a leader. Non, I mean, he reminds you a lot of Jay Bomeister. Yeah, so I was like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that they should target. And then I look up the cap at the 6.75. That is the killer. And I, looking at that, I don't see a way that they could realistically acquire him. I could be wrong because Doug Armstrong's pulled off miracles that I didn't see coming, That's like acquiring true. Pavel Buchnevich for Sammy Blay and a pick. So maybe they can make something work. You almost got me excited, too. I was almost going to play the super swipe. Were you going to go super swipe on that yeah. one? And he, yeah, then no, you were I, like, they can't make I, it work. And that, no, it's true. And that's why we're in this scenario, because there's not a guy that makes the most sense for this Blues team. By the way, someone texted in Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Uh, ben Sherratt plays much heavier than Marco, tons more blocks and hits. According to NHL.com, he's got 10 more. He's got seven more hits and five more blocked shots. What's the difference in games played? I'm assuming it's not much. Not much. Scandela has played 28. Okay, well, then that's not much because he's played 29. Yeah. So it's just one other game. You're, getting, so not the, much you're getting the same guy for the same amount of money. The only difference is you get two years off of it, and I'm not giving up a first-round pick for that. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. In about 15 minutes, I'm going to sound like BK. What? I know. Can BKO somebody? Nope. Are the Chiefs back? I can't that, believe I just well, said that. I threw, up in my, I threw up in my mouth a little bit. We're going to get into that, but coming up next, in or out, send us your in or out scenarios to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's 116. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We're back after this here on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Oh, man. Monday, man. I Unbelievable. T-Bone. Just ruining it. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Dinner out time. Send your scenarios over to us on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Let's start with this one from the 618. In or out, Conzo Martin's last year is this year at Mizzou. Well, uh, it was close against Kansas. <laughs> close? It's only like a 50-point loss. They lost by double digits. And Kansas got to 100, which is really bad. Yikes. Uh, Good old Kansas-Mizzou right back at it. 102 to 65. Boy, Yikes. I'm glad BK had his wedding on Saturday because he probably would You think he in. found out about it? I hope nobody ruined his wedding day like that. <laughs> Otherwise, we, if he were here today, he probably would have cried again about this. <laughs> I think I'm in. I, 
there seems to be no like any kind of positive steps going forward for Mizzou right now. There is the six million dollar buyout, but man, I haven't seen anything to say that six million dollar buyout isn't worth spending to get Conzo Martin fired. And I hate to say that, but basketball programs go nowhere under him, and this is this is a rough year. And BK said that he, they may not win. What did he say? Like seven, eight games? Yeah. It might be a legitimate possibility. I, think they don't don't. I don't know if they win five. I think you're about to say the rest of the year. No, I don't know if they win five games. I mean, if that's the case, I mean, you have to make a change. And this is more, this isn't so much as it's play is more in recruiting. Like, I mean, you just don't have, you don't have players right now. You don't have guys. They're, they're, in, a, they're in a bad spot. I just don't know how they can continue with that other than the fact of they just don't want to pay the money. But even then, it feels like you'd be losing more money than you'd be um, losing more money if he was still there than you not going out and getting somebody else for the team. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. In or out, Tarasenko finishes this year with the Blues. I'm going to say I'm, I'm in on this one. That he finishes with the Blues? That he finishes with the Blues. Uh, I don't... I wonder if his I wonder if his desire to be traded has changed because of what Craig Bruby is doing with his line. I mean, the fact that they're putting him with Ivan Barbashev and Pavel Buchnevich, there's so, there's something there. Like Vladdy seems to be a lot more comfortable. I was watching it last night on that line. Vladdy plays more of a two-way game when he's playing with those two guys, and I've seen him play on any other line with this Blues team, and I wonder if it's because he's playing with other guys who are two-way players. Barbashev, Buchnevich, you know, that's going to filter into his style of hockey, and, and to be honest with you, they create so much offense together. I wonder the fact that you have those two guys makes Vladdy look at it and say, you know what, it might be worth staying here because I like who I'm with, I like the way that this team is put together, and I'm on a contender this year. I think he finishes the, the year with the Blues. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if he's here next year as well. I'll say I'm in that he'll finish the year at the Blues. I, I just feel like the way things are going and how deep this team is, it just seems like, and after we talked to Brian Lawton, he said, you know, it's going to be very difficult for teams to pull off moves. That's kind of the nail in the coffin for me of, okay, he will finish the year here. I don't know if I'm going to buy into that he'll be here next year because I still think he wants traded. And that's just speculation. I'm not reporting anything. But I would find it hard to believe that you go from, okay, I'm not happy with the medical team to where, okay, we're winning now. I'm just going to forget about that issue that ever happened. If this was a I don't like the coach or I don't like dealing with a certain player and that changed for him, I, I could see that. But the fact that he had mistrust in the medical team that's not just going to go away overnight. So I, I I am in. He'll finish this year. I think the Blues will look to have a trade partner to free up some cap space next year, and his uh, stock has been built up a little bit the way he's playing. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. In or out, Mike Schilt's best position was always a spot with the MLB commissioner's office. Okay, that's cruel. <laughs> that's cruel text line. Sorry. I'll say out on that. Mike Schilt got the Cardinals to the playoffs every year he was manager, right? So, and he won manager of the year once, and he finished third this year, if I'm not mistaken. No, I, I'm out on that. I think I would, I'll say we'll see Mike Schilt back in the clubhouse of some team sometime soon. Why make the move this way? Why not, why not either take a year off 
if you want to be a manager again, or why not be a part of a roster? Well, uh, I wonder if the roster one just didn't open up, and then he seems like Mike Schultz just seems like a guy that couldn't take a year off if he wanted to from baseball. Because remember, he's been grinding it out through the minor leagues throughout his life, and now he gets offered a spot. I did find it interesting that it was, I think it was on-field something. I don't remember what the title was, but it was dealing with on-field stuff. Makes me wonder if, you know, he's going to be kind of that guy of pushing that quote-unquote old-school mentality. Not saying he's the anti-analytics guy, but maybe he'll push a little bit further for, hey, we got to find a way to get starters to go a little deeper. Hey, maybe we should look at, uh, you know, banning the shift or look at maybe he'll be there to promote pitchers hitting again. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, Katie Wu just put something out a little bit ago, uh, and she said, if you, you know, if you look at what Mike Schilt has done let me pull this up she said talk to a few people this offseason we speculated the commissioner's office is likely landing spot for Schilt. well respected in the industry and handled controversy botched calls gallegos has had incident fairly without necessarily pointing fingers that makes the most sense it wouldn't surprise me if he takes a larger role at some point and, and maybe isn't back in the manager seat maybe he's in the commissioner's office towards the front office position just tinfoil him towards being the next commissioner of baseball <laughs> Whoa. Tinfoil Ferrario. Watch out. Not your jab, Robert. <laughs> Robert might not be having a say in this one. Uh, 65780 Air Comfort Service text line in or out 636. The Blues will have everyone back by the Winter Classic. January 1st, we'll have everyone back. Uh, I, I'll say I'm out on this. hate to be the pessimistic guy, but... I, I don't really know the timeline of Robert Thomas. I think you said earlier, expect him to be week to week. So there's one. Perron. Let's see. Perron. Who's the other guys that are skating? Costin and and Neil will probably be there. And, like, I just don't know the extent of, like, a Ville Husso injury. I don't know the extent of Jake Wallman. I'm very curious to see what the update will be on Braden Chen, considering this is a different injury. Same with a... Uh, who else? Who would? Oh, Jordan Cairo. My gosh, this list is too long. I can't remember them all. There's so many guys out that are injured. So I'll say I'm out, but I do think they'll be mostly healthy. I, I just don't know if they'll have everybody back in time. Yeah, I, I mean, I got to guess what an upper and a lower body injury is. We can't tell me. Yeah, that's the thing. Like the ones that I'm not sure about is I'm not sure. Cairo, Shen, Huso, Wallman. Those are the ones I'm not sure about because we really haven't gotten an update on them other than Huso and Wallman being on short-term IR, which is a week-to-week thing. Uh, Robert Thomas is day-to-day, but you would imagine it's going to be at least a week because he's been out for, what, three games now? Um, I'm going to say I'm out on this one. I think they're still going to be depleted at some point when you get to the Winter Classic. I think you'll have the COVID guys back. Uh, I think you'll have David Perron back. I think you'll have Thomas back. It's Kairou and Shen and Huso. Those are the ones I'm a little concerned about uh, in terms of just making sure that they're 100% because the Blues have no need to rush guys back into uh, back into the lineup. Final one here, Comfort Service text line is 65780. In or out, the Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl bound. Don't answer it. We're going to talk about it oh, next what year. What a freaking tease. BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN.
takes the snap, throws it in the flat. Darrell Williams, 15, 10, 5, leads into the end zone. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Raiders still aren't covering Darrell Williams. It's a 23-yard touchdown on a flat route. Counter pitch now left side. Edward Zilaire trying to break a tackle. Goes on into the end zone. Left side, touchdown, Kansas City. They're going to throw a quick pass. Josh Gordon, touchdown, <laughs> Kansas City on a tunnel screen from less than one yard out. Well, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Chiefs are back, boys. They're back. Boo. I know. I know. I've taken the role of BK this week. <laughs> Surprised you didn't play a Stephen A. Smith cut on me there. It's hard to deny this, T-Bone. Like, you're coming off a victory against the Raiders. Who, who Look, the Raiders have not been good. But this is now five wins in a row, six wins in a row for the Chiefs. The last loss was against the Tennessee Titans on the 24th. And I know that they've beaten some bad teams. I mean, you beat the Raiders twice. You beat the Giants, but look, you beat the Packers, you beat the Cowboys, you beat the Broncos, and the Broncos may not be the flashiest team, but defensively, that's a damn good team, and you scored 22 points on them. But they're back more so because of the defense, and that's where I'm starting to actually believe in this. That's three straight games where they've held their opponent to nine points, T-Bone. I didn't think the Melvin Ingram addition was going to be as impactful as it was for Kansas City. I can't deny it anymore. I can't deny the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs look like one of the better teams in the AFC. I still think it's the New England Patriots, but with all of the injuries to the Tennessee Titans, I would put Kansas City now as the number two team. And I fought that for so long. I fought that with BK saying it's the Patriots and then everyone else. Now I think it's the Patriots, the Chiefs, then everybody else. Yeah, I, I'm still not 100% in on their back. I I am with you, though, that they are the number two team in the AFC right now. But I think part of that is just because who else am I going to put in that category? There's really no other good option. My biggest thing, though, for the Chiefs, and it's still it's still on Mahomes, and I get it. It's like, oh, well, Patrick Mahomes is a problem. That doesn't seem like a problem. He only had 258 passing yards yesterday. He did have two touchdowns. He was 20-24. Did have an interception. That's the bigger note yeah. from that one. But, again, it's still not the Patrick Mahomes numbers we're used to seeing. And, again, part of that is going to be because they won 48-9. to They were running the ball by the end of that thing. But I still don't think he's back to his elite level that we had seen in the past. And maybe that's just me. You know, I've seen it, so that's kind of what I expect. Maybe he just won't get there this year. I think he has to get there for them to be Super Bowl contenders I, I Super Bowl winning contenders I think they could they have an easy path to the Super Bowl possibly because I think they can beat everybody in the AFC except maybe the Patriots I would I would give that a 50 50 shot but then can can they beat those teams in the NFC I don't think oh. they can beat the Bucks. I don't see, think I they think can they, beat Green Bay see I think they can beat those teams you want to know why because of their defense you can have an average Patrick Mahomes look at what happened to Tampa Bay Tampa Bay had to get into a shootout with Buffalo and they win that game because Buffalo couldn't compete there. Buffalo's defense should be better than Kansas City's and they have struggled. I mean, Kansas City, like it or not, and I know one of the teams are the Raiders, but like it or not, they held the Broncos to nine points. They held the Cowboys to nine points. If you're able to hold those offense to nine points, you can hold Tampa Bay. But here, here's the thing for me. It's like I'm using Tampa Bay as the example here. Again, I think they are top two in the AFC, and I think they could easily get to the Super Bowl. The question is, can they win the Super Bowl? I don't know if you do beat a Tampa Bay. They can stop the run. Then it's going to come down to to can Mahomes get back to himself. Again, Mahomes is such an elite quarterback. We're basically like 
picking the nitty-gritty on this Kansas City Chiefs team, but in my opinion, he has to get back to his elite level for the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Arizona, we're not giving them enough credit. We'll see how they play tonight. I think they're going to smoke the Rams. I'll just be honest, and I'm a Rams fan. I think they're going to destroy them. The Rams don't have their running back. They're missing one of their corners, and they're missing, I think, their either right guard or right tackle. The Cardinals' defense is good. I think they could shut down the Kansas City Chiefs and beat them. The only threat to the Chiefs in the AFC, in my opinion, is the Patriots. Their defense is really good. Could they stop the run enough and then force Mahomes to beat them? Again, I get it. It's Patrick freaking Mahomes. But he hasn't been that way this year. He's been a little bit off for some reason. I think if Mahomes doesn't get back to the elite level, I can't take the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, and I would take the New England Patriots to beat them if they got to the AFC Championship game. Here's the one caveat in all of this. What happens with the Titans and their health? Because if the Titans can get back and be healthy, that's where I think things really hurt Kansas City. And I don't know if Tennessee can get back to that. I have no idea if Derrick Henry's going to be back for them. I have no idea if you're going to see a healthy A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. But for the way that Ryan Tannehill has performed without those players, Tennessee is going to be a problem for Kansas City if they're healthy. But again, I can't can't thrive off of, oh yeah, well they're going to be healthy by the playoff time. You just don't know. What I'm seeing from Kansas City is a team that looks much different than what they've gone through. But you're right, T-Bone. Like, if you don't have Patrick Mahomes at that level, then maybe we're talking about something different for this team. And the good thing is, too, as you just mentioned, you know, they're, they're playing really well. What did you say, six-game winning streak or something like that? Is that they're trending in the right direction. There are teams that are trending in the wrong direction. You look at Buffalo, they're going the wrong way. You mm-hmm. look at Baltimore's going the wrong way, especially with what happens with Lamar with Jackson. Lamar Jackson, yeah, they're going the wrong way. They've lost two straight to two division mm-hmm. foes. So it, it is a good sign to see that Kansas City's winning games, even when Mahomes hasn't played up to his expected level just yet. And as you mentioned, the defense has given up nine points in three straight games. They've given up 17 fewer, and I think it's seven in a row, something like that. So. They're, they're definitely a team to keep an eye on. I just don't know if I would take them head-to-head against New England or some of these teams on the NFC if they got to the Super Bowl. You mentioned Bowl. the two games tonight, T-Bone, and you can hear the Rams and Cardinals Monday Night Football here on 101 ESPN. It starts at 7 a little after that. We've got pregame starting at 6.30. Who has more to lose in this game? And I say this thinking I don't think either team has anything to lose because for the Rams, like we, we talked about Washington being the team that's on the final wild card spot, like San Francisco maybe can catch them for that number two spot. But I don't know if you're going to see any of the other teams catch up with the Rams, maybe the Vikings, but they're so inconsistent. But in my opinion, I think the, I think the Rams have more to lose in this game today or tonight, because I think it comes down to, to, to confidence more than anything, because that would be two straight games that you lost to Arizona in your division. And on top of it, you've just played inconsistent with the roster that you've put together. Yeah, I mine is on Arizona, and I understand where you're coming from with the Rams because the Rams, they are, I think it's two and three against teams that are above 500 this year. But I'm not, I shouldn't, you shouldn't really include that Colts game because they played the Colts early in the year when they were struggling. So mm-hmm. really, they're one and four against uh, five above or one in three against above 500 teams this year. They could use a big signature win. Plus, it would get them back into this NFC West race. I think it's on the Cardinals, though, because their defense is playing well. The offense looks good. They've got Kyler. They've got their weapons in tonight against this Rams team. They need to try and hold on to this top seat so they can get the bye and get healthy and have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. We saw Green Bay last night. Do you really want to go up to Lambeau Field and play them if it comes down to the NFC Championship game? 
Do you really want to go to Tampa Bay and take on Tom Brady on the road in the NFC Championship game? Hell, do you really want to play the Cowboys in Dallas if it came down to that? <laughs> I, I think it's this game, again, it's weird to say they have a lot to lose, but I don't think Arizona can lose home field advantage. They really need to beat the Rams tonight, a team that they really beat up on last time. They're playing well. They've got their weapons. The Rams, as you mentioned, are kind of... They don't really have an identity right now. The confidence may be a little shaken. I think this is an important one for the Arizona Cardinals. Yep, 7 o'clock or a little after, uh, I almost said puck drop, kickoff tonight. They don't play with a puck. Uh, kickoff tonight a little after 7 here on 101 ESPN. Pre-game coverage starts at 6.30, Monday night football between the Rams and Cardinals. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. We will take our final break. We'll come back, cross things over with the fast lane next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. chance for you to donate to this year's Carriker and Smallman 12 Days of Christmas fundraiser supporting Operation Food Search. You can donate at least $25 today and you'll receive a complimentary 101 ESPN t-shirt, koozie, and sticker as a gift for your donation. Your score, You score a free 101 shirt, koozie, and sticker and your $25 donation helps Operation Food Search serve the metro area during this critical time of the year. Thanks to our presenting sponsors of this year's 12 Days of T-Shirts campaign, American Standard Heating and Cooling Contractors, and McBride Homes. Find all the details on this year's 12 Days of T-Shirt fundraiser now at ESPN101ESPN.com. With Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK this week. He'll be back next week as we cross things over with the Fast Lane and Brad Thompson in studio. BT, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you guys as well. You have a good weekend? Fantastic weekend. We got to watch our boy BK oh. get married. Awesome. On his way to Punta Cana now with his Good with his him. lovely wife Kara. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, I saw a bunch of the pictures there. I was sad that I couldn't be there. I instead you took had important it. things. Well, my daughter was in the Nutcracker, and that was going to be a tough one to, to tell my wife, "Babe, I'm going to a wedding. Have fun in the Nutcracker." Uh, no, but it was. Uh, I'm so glad to see all the pictures. I heard it was a fantastic yeah. uh, night, and uh, look, I heard some people have some good dance moves. So yeah. I, I like that. That that one doesn't sell well to the wife. No. Avoiding the nut. Okay, no, it's I'll, not. I'll it's take not note of that for the, the future. Look, it's not like uh-huh. a rando okay. nutcracker because, uh, look, we have uh, uh, for years, I- I've talked about how bad that show is, the nutcracker. Oh, yeah. But it was Brutal. the fact that my daughter, who's five, was in the nutcracker. Now, who was she? She was, was she uh, like the... uh, no, I think they like made up one for like her age group. They were uh-huh. lemon drops, is oh, what okay. they called them. Yeah. Second act, so we had to wait, you know, so, a good hour and a half. Now, see, isn't we saw that the her. best part of it? You get the second act performances, yeah. so you got to sit through the first. They did a good job. Yeah. It was great. I went to my niece's dance recital, and I'm not that point yet. Thank God, you know, my nine month old isn't in any performances yet, It'll which is be a benefit. Like tomorrow, it's coming. pretty much. But I went to my niece's dance recital a couple of months ago, and she was the first act. But and, you can't leave, though. Oh, no. Apparently, you left? I didn't. My sister was like, oh, let's go. And then they pulled her out of it. And I'm like, can you do that? Is that no, a thing? No, that's bad ball. Is it? Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. I didn't no offense to your sister who's probably right, right. not listening. No, God, no. Of course uh, not. But, uh, but no, you can't. for them? Yeah, but okay. So think about this. Think about all the kids that are there, like have to wait until the end. They look out and it's like two people, it's just their mom and dad. Like, you know, trying to put on a big show They're for young, everybody. Don't forget about it. Yeah, well, they'll be scarred and they'll never want to get into it again. Look, you hang in for the whole thing. Is it ideal? No, no, it's not. See, it dance sucks. recitals seem to be the one to go to, like, like um, band performances. I felt bad that my parents had to sit through that in grade school. They had to go watch me among 350 kids that were all playing like, yeah. instruments out of. 
cartoon. Like, where they is had to he? Sit there, yeah, where the hell is he? They had to sit there and watch that. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. Look, being uh, being a parent, as you're you're gonna learn as you yeah. go, and I'm I'm gonna continue to learn. There's a lot of stuff you just gotta sit through, and there's gonna be countless nights of like sitting in bleachers and freezing your butt off and going <laughs> to places. And from what I understand, and again, not there yet, you're gonna miss the hell out of those times. Yep. So embrace them while they're there. <laughs> not you know, there that's yet. what I'm trying to remember. You know, you, you'll 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 miss it. So BT, you mentioned some good dance moves we found out at BT or BK's wedding. Mark Saxon. Saxy's got some moves. So his name is Big Saxy. Of course he's got some moves. And now I know why his name is Big Saxy. He looked like he was on the television show Soul Train. Did he really? I, I mean, so he just walked through it like, so like there was a, a couple of walls yeah. uh, on the side of people. He just came through. Just, oh, oh, yeah. oh, big oh, no. sexy so, coming in. So he was on the corner, like next to the DJ, and you know the dance floor is of course going on. And Mark Saxon and his wife, man, they were just good for they them. Were, they were grinding on that dance floor, and it was good. Good for them. Yeah. You know who else has got some moves who? that I've seen at different places? Yeah, Jr. Jeremy Rutherford's got some moves. Really? Yeah, I oh, have. Yeah. I, I have not seen that, but I have been told that Jr. knows how to uh, bust Look, a move every once yeah, in a while. He ain't messing around. Very I'd like limber. to see that. Does BT got moves? No, no, no. I keep it close. I, I do the hitch. I, I've I seen, keep it right here. I've seen the Yachty dances though. Oh well, sometimes when that song plays, you, you just have to. They shake played it. that song at the wedding, by the way. Were you there? No, no? I, I wasn't. They there. played that song at the wedding. Or at, sorry, not the, I guess the reception. Not yeah, the we're gonna have to. Have oh, that would be awesome <laughs> if they played it at the wedding. <laughs> at the ceremony the when ceremony, they came she's out. Coming down here that comes the sense. bride and the body, yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. We're gonna have to have a conversation with our boy BK though yeah, when they, he gets back. I'm pretty sure they played it. I'd been drinking. BK said that he's sure. the hitch guy, where you keep the, you know, but he wasn't. Oh no, he wasn't. It was his day. There was a song that came on. He was mostly at that where it was, you know, just kind of in the hips like he talks about. I don't remember what song it was. I'll have to see if BK remembers this. But he was talking with me, Stoltz, Jamie, and I think JR was there at the time. I doubt he remembers a song it. Came, and it's fair. A song came on. I can't remember what it was. And the next thing I know, I just hear BK go, this is my jam. He just jumps away, arms in the air, flailing around, Good just jumping in the air. Right. I was like, I don't know what this song is, but I'm, I'm down for God, it. When, when Kara wedding. was in here last week, mm-hmm. it, it, we were talking to them for a while afterwards. Yeah. And she was saying, hey, at the wedding, if you're looking for us, we'll be on the dance floor. I'm yeah. like, good for you. They like, were. Go enjoy it. You know, they did They did the greeting after the ceremony. And my wife and I didn't do it because we were like, you know, that's going to be tough with so many people. So we we're like, oh, we'll just talk to them at the wedding. Yeah. I wish we would have done what BK and Kara did. Yeah, you spend the whole time doing it. Because yeah. that's, that's what I was telling her. Like, hey, if I got one piece of advice, this is one that somebody gave to us. Is like, don't spend your whole reception yeah. talking to people. You spend a few minutes if you want to, but that's your day. It like, was go, the worst. Go have fun. So what, I mean, they, they sat there and they said hi to everybody when they left. And they were just on the dance floor the rest of the night. Good. Yeah, Good if, for you, them. if you want to talk, we'll be out here. Yeah. Come talk to party, us out here. Bring a drink at. and we'll enjoy so it. So were you out there on the dance floor? No. breaking it down. No, God, no. I, Were you I, hanging out by the bar a little bit more? No, guess what? Hanging, out, hanging out the bar. We, we left early. That's what, I mean, it happens. You, yeah. you got a little I got a nine-month-old. She yeah. wasn't sleeping at, at the at the grandma's house, and we're like, okay, she's going to turn into a gremlin in about 30 minutes. Her bedtime is at 8 o'clock, and if she's not asleep, she turns into a monster. Yeah. So we're like, okay, we got to go get her so, before. So nine months old, right? Nine months old, yeah. So, uh, you know, your life's over, like, or oh, at least yeah. as you know it, right? As, <laughs> as you know it. And, and there are different chapters Because of two years lives. ago, BT, I You're was there on the dance night. floor all night. You passed out on the dance floor two years yeah, ago, probably. That's true. Like, people are telling stories about you today here uh-huh. on these airways. 
airwaves of things that that you did when and I was that Tanner, they did to you yeah. as you were passed out. A lot more of the things that they did to me when I was passed yeah. out on the dance you still, floor. You would still have Sharpie on two years ago. <laughs> Doesn't come to off. Like mar- rub it off. <laughs> Doesn't come work. off. Why would you draw that on my face? I don't know if that was fun. <laughs> before we get out of here, we got some blues news to get to, which of course this is going to tr- uh, leak in. Any nope, good news? Not any good news. Well, I guess there could be some good okay, news. Tyler Bozak and Justin Falk have been activated off the COVID uh, protocol list. What do you mean? That's fantastic news. Well, the the bad news is you got guys going to LTIR in, in uh, short term and long term. Okay. So David Perron's headed to LTIR. Now, the good news, I guess, is that's retroactive to November 27th. Yeah, I was going to say, he's, uh, he's the 24th, right? right? Another 11 days. Is that right? 24th? 27th is when 27th. they're making it retroactive. So if you're going 24 oh. days from that, you're looking at you the, the 21st of December. Okay. Oh, that's, that's not terrible. Math there. So you got eight more days. Uh, and Thomas and Shen are headed to injured reserve. So that's seven days on the injured list for the Blues. All right. So you they just stopped at the good news. Well, I tried to. You negative Nancy. Yeah, he hey, really they is. recalled Alexei Toropchenko from the minors, though. Oh, but I wanted to watch okay. his name. Up. Real or fake? Uh, I'm going to say fake. <laughs> That's not a real guy. He's a real guy. He's a real guy. Okay. More Springfield Thunderbirds, BT. That's where this turns I in. I wanted to see Anus up. What's that? Well, it's uh, Anus is down there. No, it's it's Sam Anus. Oh. Oh, Anus. I know Anis. Yeah, you know Anis. Yeah. Not so much Anis. No. It's enough out of you, Tebow. No, I, I, but I haven't dug that's deep. A, that's got to be a common mistake, though. I don't think I, so. No, I would absolutely. How's it spelled? <laughs> A-N-A-S? Oh, no, that's Anis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if there was the U in there, yeah. we could understand with that one, but it's straight Sam Anis. So, yeah, so Alex Toropchenko recalled from the uh, Springfield Thunderbirds on emergency recall. Thomas, Braden Shen, both on injured reserve. David Perron on LTIR. Tyler Bozak, Justin Falk off of the COVID list. A lot of roster moves. BT, what's coming up on the fast lane? Well, we're probably going to talk about those roster moves. <laughs> Jamie's going to tell us how they keep it all together. We'll talk to Danny Mack today, and we'll c- catch up today with all, all of the baseball news. There's not any, so we'll just <laughs> we'll, we'll skip that. We'll skip that and get into NFL conference. you guys win this week? No. We need, uh, desperately, we need the Rams to win tonight. Okay. So a big Rams fan today. That's uh, we need the Rams to win, and we need it to be a high-scoring affair because we uh, we're, even if the Rams win, we're tied. Oh, okay. And then we need a lot of points. So we need over 45 points over in the 45, Rams. And then we win the week? Yeah. Okay. Just to stay alive, okay. Alex. Just to stay alive. I'm rooting for this tonight, then. I'm a Rams fan with you, boys. Fastlane BT, Anthony Stalter, Jamie Rivers, Brad Barnes, all coming up next. T-Bone and I will be back tomorrow at 11 with Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.